celebrating 300 episodes. Well, hello and welcome to episode 300 of Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, as always, and joining me for not his 300th episode, <laughs> but, you know, he gets to be here for it, is one, Chris Figs. Hello. So, Chris, what's the math we've done here? You've been on for 85 episodes? Yes, 85 episodes. Yep. So as you as you may recall, if you've been listening for a while, uh, whenever Saul had uh, some health issues, and I don't think we ever talked about what they are, so I'll continue to respect his privacy there. Uh, Chris came in and filled that role and has stayed with us ever since. And Saul has moved on to greener pastures. That would be so funny if he went and made an Xbox podcast. <laughs> but that Saul's is not greener where we pastures. Are. <laughs> that would honestly not, you know, that's not bad. The grass There's, is always we, greener. We should make a PlayStation podcast. We should just restart from the ground up and just make one called The Grass is Bluer on the Other Side and just <laughs> roll with it. Yeah, I like that. Then people will just think it's a podcast about Kentucky. True, true. So maybe not a good idea, but that's or okay. Pools. Or pools. <laughs> or pools, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, everyone, of course, today we're still going to try and uh, bring in some elements of a normal episode. We are going to talk about news. We'll talk about what we've been playing and all that. But this is going to be very much a community-oriented episode. So for those of you who have been here a long time listening, we hope you enjoy. This this episode's about not only celebrating doing 300 episodes uh, myself and the show being around for 300 episodes, but also about celebrating you guys who come in and listen to us every week and make us want to come back and do this every week. This is about the dumb arguments to solve and I have had on, on the show, the dumb arguments that Chris and I have had on the show, and maybe even sometimes the good arguments we've had on the show. But really, we just want to celebrate everything that goes into making the podcast, being part of the podcast, and then the rewards, as we'll call it, uh, from being part of the podcast and having you guys interact with us. So be prepared for that. Again, if that's not your bag and that's not what you're into, remember we have started using timestamps. We make sure that they're there, and I try to really have them for anything that's a long enough discussion to make sense to give it its own section. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, whether you're listening on podcast services, watching on YouTube, whatever it is you want to do. By the way, you should watch on YouTube because as I had to tell my wife earlier, my nips have been on the Internet. I don't know if you remember hashtag free, uh, free the nips, Chris, but I certainly remember that that happened. <laughs> so if you look long enough and hard enough, first of all, you pervert. Second of all, you can find my nips on this on this show, but only if you're watching. Uh, all that said, though, we hope you guys enjoy and we're going to start this show off. Before we end up getting into everything else, there's some weird stuff going on, some Bobby Kotick stuff, talking about how he's mad at Sony, but also he's not going to make that impact Sony. So basically, business is being businesses. Uh, <laughs> some accusations being thrown around or some, uh, some hard truths, depending on where you are, about Sony's presence in Japan as opposed to Microsoft, and plenty more. But like we said, we're here to celebrate 300 episodes as well. So we're going to get that started off the right way, the only way that I know how, and that is with checking in with Chris and asking Chris, let these people know what have you been up to? What have you been playing? 
And are you happy that you've finally gotten your platinum in Arkham Asylum? Oh, I did forget <laughs> to put that on my list. Yes, I do have the Arkham Asylum platinum. Uh, that was third very nice. for the year? Yes, I believe it's my third so far, which pales in comparison to all you no-life motherfuckers who I thought I could beat in this goddamn competition. <laughs> Chris, you can super- point fingers all you want, but as you yourself said just earlier, hmm. you've created two competitions for this show, and you are losing woefully at both of them. <laughs> woefully. All right, woefully. There, guy. Two points is woefully, Chris. You need to know. We'll give. We'll 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 update the people on the the Metacritic draft here shortly. Go ahead yes, and let us know will. what you've been playing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, Arkham Asylum got that platinum. I'm a huge fan of that game. It's great. Um, I'll just restart. Uh, five minutes. Spoilies. Spoilies. <laughs> I'm gonna anyway. leave that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Anyway, so yes, I fin- I stopped playing Arkham Asylum. I started playing Arkham City. Um, I'm right at the end. I'm in the last fight, and <laughs> it was funny. I was finishing that while MLB the show was installing, and it was like I was mid fight in the game installed, and I just stopped playing Arkham City. So I have not finished it yet, but I will go back. Um, Arkham City is really good. What I'll say is that I did no side content whatsoever. I just mainlined the story. Um, well, I saw the cutscenes. I didn't rush through it or anything, but I did that specifically because if I did, if I wanted to go for the platinum, the second playthrough you have to hundred percent, and the side quests do not carry over despite challenges and all that carrying over. So I was like, I'm sure. just going to do all this in the second playthrough. I'm not going to spend forty hours on this playthrough and have to do it over again. So I spent. 10 hours that game is not long when all you do is the main quest and i didn't realize <laughs> that that game was uh which i've never thought about getting the platinum in it until recently whenever mm-hmm. i was doing night like i talked about i didn't realize that game was a you have to play again yeah new game plus so you can't just 100 percent it on the first playthrough huh no you have to 100 percent it on new game plus that's that's ass. That's trash. Yeah. But luckily, for <laughs> New Game Plus, like Riddler trophies carry over. All of that stuff carries over. Side quests do not. So I'm like, I'm just doing the story. I'll take. I'll get a more in depth look in New Game Plus. So that's where I'm at with that. <clears throat> and then it's just the other two big games of the week. It's Resident Evil Four and MLB Twenty Three. The show. Mm, I noticed you conveniently left out your bad company too. Your little. Sp- with that. Ah, yes, I did. I did also play Bad Company too. For one, very surprised that game still going. People are still playing. I was able to get into full lobbies. I was really hyped on that. Um, but then it does take a long time because the lobbies are full in the sense that the game plays, but they're not full in the sense of there's what sixteen people on each team, uh, and the quaint numbers yeah right but also it's funny that we've come back to that not to get yeah. too much on a tangent but you think about the fact that bad company 2 and bad company 1 came out at a time right before games were trying to be like we have 64 players in a single match <laughs> yeah. and then that was resistance 2 uh, and then 
Mag comes out and was like, fuck that. We have 128 players in a single match. It's I kind of miss the time, and it happens in everything, right? But I kind of miss the time when everybody gets addicted to the bigger is better. So the way that you make a better online game is you just shove more people in a single match. And I, it's impressive. Like, it was. The mm-hmm. first time I did a 32 versus 32 match in Resistance 2, I was like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. And then the first time that I played Mag and got murdered because of the way that it does its progression system, um, I was like, also crazy. It's almost hard to imagine and now we are in this thing where i feel like most actual multiplayer games where they're driven by that only tend to cap out in like the 24 you know ish range Mm. whereas hundreds of people in a single map or 100 people in a map has been taken over by uh the battle royale how many people go into a uh into a apex match 60 okay Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, like the, my biggest issue with Bad Company Two right now, and I think it'll change once I start going for like boosting partners because I'm going to get that platinum before it shuts down. So, uh, Brett, if you want another closed server platinum, get in here because <laughs> it's happening. It's really easy. I've done it before on my old account, but the big problem I'm having right now is that because the lobbies play, so you can play the game. But they don't fill, and there's no time limit. So you have oh, to so get it's kill limit. Yeah, so it's like four. It's like four v four. Get a hundred kills to move on to the next objective, which also requires a hundred kills to move on to the next objective, which also requires a hundred kills. So I played one game, and it took me about an hour and a half. <laughs> that is awful. But <laughs> very fun. So take it for what you oh, will, because yeah. I really enjoyed myself. But I'm like, oh, I don't doubt gonna... that. You know, I kind of got the, uh, I kind of got a nostalgia itch, and I haven't scratched it on purpose because I have other things I'm trying to play and things that I'm doing, like personal projects that I'm doing, um, have been wearing me out. So I haven't been playing as much as I've been wanting to. Um, but after the Battlefield uh, Bad Company news came out. It got me thinking that I adored the first Medal of Honor reboot that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dice was also the developer for it, they were. Um, and it was incredible. And the multiplayer was so fun. And it was the same thing: like destructible environments can shoot through certain surfaces and stuff, which was still a novel thing in that particular day and age. Like, do you remember? And I don't know if you do. I think the first game I can remember it in, if I'm not mistaken, is EA's Black on PS2. When the idea of being able to shoot through two like metal bars and like a railing, you could shoot through it without it yeah. just hitting, and that shit didn't, blew my mind. Didn't Fear <laughs> do that? Uh, Fear had some breakaway stuff, and you could shoot through certain things. Like I always remember Fear feeling like uh, definitely since the first game takes a, a lot of it takes place in that kind of. I don't know how to describe like a building complex with like columns and stuff. It always made me think with the uh, I'm, I'm skipping out on what it's called right now, but the slow-mo thing that they in, had in the game where you could like slow down time and going, it reminded me of the scene in the matrix uh, reloaded where they're going through the bank <laughs> and yeah. running and back flipping off the walls and the pillars are getting shot and being broken down. I thought that like fear gave me that vibe, but like, in a horror game setting. Yeah. Dude, fear 
underrated series. <laughs> I know people hate pro- on Fear Three. Excellent goddamn game Fear Three is. It's still a good game. Yeah. I don't know if I consider it a good fear game. That's kind of the no. biggest problem that I have. Uh, but fear one and fear two are incredible. Fear mm-hmm. two is so good. Fear two it is phenomenal. So good. And it holds up really well. It does. Uh, a couple of games really surprised me from that era where if they're made in just the right way, they still hold up. Like I was super surprised that the darkness two still feels excellent. Oh, I mean, darkness two is awesome. I played that recent, relatively yeah. recently too. I'm, it makes me curious how the Darkness One holds up because I thought that game was amazing when I first played it, but it's <laughs> yeah. significantly older, you know. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's, man. I don't know. Darkness is great. I mean, that's the thing. I think I think a lot of games hold up better than you'd expect. Personally, I, yeah, I feel like PS3 era. We've talked about this before, but I think it's what makes PS3 compelling is that you still can go back and play them and not. All games, of course, but there's a surprising chunk of games that outside of bad loading and like maybe a little bit of frame rate hitches, Mm -hmm. design-wise and games, they hold up well. That's true of PS1 if you go for certain genres. And then PS1, I think, has a lot of games just kind of like Nintendo 64 that don't hold up nearly as well to modern scrutiny. Um, But man, there's a couple of PS3 games that I really think excel at that and some late ps2 games i haven't played black in a long time the last time i played it i think was like 2013 and i was surprised that for a ps2 game it wasn't awful the biggest problem is that all ps2 shooters had the weirdest control schemes i don't i don't really understand why and ps3 arguably kept that factor by having kill zone and resistance and all those games have you shoot on l1 r1 um i don't i actually don't mind r1 l1 on that controller I don't mind um, it either. Uh, have you been using your Bluetooth Defender? Or have you been using an actual DualShock 3? So, I have not been using my Defender because uh, it sucks. <laughs> Does it really? I've had two. I've and not played a Neither ton. work. Ooh. So, the first one I got won't, would never connect to my PS3. I emailed them. And first of all, they're like, did you plug it in? And I'm like, no, I'm an idiot. I never plugged the controller in. That's the problem. So I'm like, whatever. So I plug it in. And he's like, well, send me a picture so I can make sure I've got the right, you've got the right setup. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, I'll send you a picture. It's clearly plugged into the PS3. So then he sends me another one, but they refuse to send me the one I bought. Because the one I bought originally connected to PS2, PS1, all of that wirelessly. They're like, we're just ah, going to... see, that's not the one I have. Well, here's the thing. But I understand. You got the Defender. I got the not Defender. Not the Defender BT. Yeah. Yes. I got the Defender. And it never worked. And he was like, well, if you're mostly trying to play PS, PS3 games, like, well, I'll just send you the Defender BT. And I'm like, oh, okay. No, I mean, no, because I also have a PS2 that I'd like to play. And then sure. he never responds to that email and then sends me the Defender BT and then it doesn't work. <laughs> so will it not connect either? It connects, but the buttons don't work. Wow. Like it won't play. And I'm like, dog, what the hell? <laughs> well, I feel bad for putting them on your radar, but I, I, as far as I can tell, me and B-Raj have had no problems. I haven't played mine extensively, yeah. but I've not had problems so far. Well, that but that's the sense. thing. You did have problems, right? Because you had that sticky trigger sticky, that they set and Sticky fixed. R1. Yeah, and yeah. the new one's fine. The new one doesn't have any of that. 
Yeah. And they I'm did just, not give me 20 questions. All I said was, hey, my R1 sticks, just trying to see if I can get, you know, either it fixed or get another one. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we got you another one coming in the mail to so the same address. I was like, sweet. <laughs> my was, assumption is that it's simple. one of those, like, you know, he was talking to the lowest common denominator. And, like, listen, main character syndrome over here. I know I'm not the lowest common denominator of video gamer. So I'm like, dog, like, just get me the new goddamn controller. And I was frustrated. But yeah, sure. my my PS3 controller is on its way out, which is the problem. So I need to get something else because I play a lot of PS3. Well, I haven't taken it apart yet, but I wanted to take apart the one with the sticky R1 and see if I can fix it. Yeah, because it normally is just like usually you can find what the problem is, and if I can fix it, I'll just shoot you the the one I have that works. Oh, that's so kind of you. I'm you just know, I do what I can sometimes. I can just tell because I was playing Bad Company and I was hitting like sprint and it was like throwing grenades, which is on L2. And I'm like, I don't know why this is happening, but this thing is on its way out. So I like, I've, I think I've said it on the show before, even to you privately. I need to get another PS3, like vacuum seal it and put it away. And I need to do that <laughs> with a controller. Because seriously, like I have like a a very large collection of PS3 games. If this one goes away one day, like I would like to have a backup that, you know, in five, six years doesn't cost me a thousand dollars. Yeah, I understand. I mean, that's kind so. of why I keep my super slim around. I've thought about selling it a few times, but it, at the time that I was thinking about selling it, it wasn't worth enough for me to be like the comfort of having a secondary PlayStation is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it allows it's- me, because I was thinking like my super slim's got that 500 gig, right? And the, uh, the original one is an 80 gig. So my thought was like, ah, do I really want to give up? I, do I want to have to slap a 500 gig into this? I kind of like that the OG is just the OG. It's exactly how it was when I got it. Yeah. Do you so have it's the like BBC I kind one, of want right? to keep that out. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, mine's the BBC one. <laughs> oh, big no, it's British clay station. <laughs> No, it's just it's British, bro. Oh, I when got I turn that. it on, it's like thank you for tuning in to the BBC. Hello, Gov. <laughs> would you like to play some Grand Theft Auto? That would actually be if it just started suddenly started doing Cockney British, <laughs> the <laughs> London accent. You start it. Hello, Governor. <laughs> Only speak the Queen's English here on Bad Company too, mate. I don't even know if that's a British <laughs> accent. I apologize to the British. <laughs> Chris, you kind of there's a lot more for you to apologize in that sentence. You, you just, it's okay. Uh, from what I understand, you, you sounded like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins, <laughs> but worse. Well, I've always had this thought: like, if someone, like, if you never knew me, right, and I told you I was British and I spoke like that, like, consistently the whole time we know we we knew each other. You have to believe that that's my true accent at a certain point, right? I think that you'd believe that if you had not, like, I think if you were in, like, Britain or anywhere in the UK, Mm -hmm. they would know immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I think that they would know. They'd be like, this dude's taking the piss. I think if you were here with someone who just doesn't know any different and all they know is, like, TV British and like um, the weird American version of TV British where it's not actual British accents. Yeah. Like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, then I think you might co- you might fool someone. Okay, I just want to fool somebody. Like I've always said, if I got a new job, I would pretend to only speak Spanish until I just couldn't do it anymore. 
That would actually, yeah, just to see what people's reactions are. Right. When you come in one day and just hit them with like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> it's like I always have this joke where, because I, I, you know, outside of me dating a coworker, I try to keep that life separate so people don't know much about me. So every once in a while, they'll be like, oh, blah, 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 just talking about things they assume about my life. And I'm like, you didn't know I had three kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there are multiple people at my job who I don't know if they listen to the show, but they think I have multiple children. I'm like, I'm you're my coworker. I'm not introducing you to my kid. Jenny is scared of adults. <laughs> 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 Running jokes at work is great. Mm-hmm. You know, like at one point in time, there was this very emotional lady, and she's sweet as could be, but she was just very emotional. And yeah. you could just say stuff to her that was off the wall, and she would not know that you were kidding or lying. Oh, no. And you just you could just watch her watch her face be like, "Oh my god!" Like you know, one time. <laughs> I can't remember the exact sentence, but it was something to the degree of my buddy uh, Blaze was at work before he left there, and she said something to him, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I just sacrificed about twelve kittens on the way here. You know, my day's much better now." <laughs> <laughs> you can just see like her face is like, "Oh my god, he's a why psychopath. Would he, why would he do that?" And then I think what's more funny is like the I think it rolled around to her that he was probably joking, but then her face just became. Why would you joke about that? <laughs> yeah, that's almost worse. And, you know, that's when I really realized the disconnect between our generation's style of humor. And uh, now that's not, you know, we're not talking completely broad strokes. There are people who are much older than me with a similar style of humor uh, and vice versa. There's people my age that do not like that sense of humor at all or do not understand it. But I feel like the Internet has really shaped <laughs> <laughs> our sense of uh, of comedy in that particular way. Oh, you know what? what? Here we are 20 minutes into the show, and uh, you know what? I haven't talked about what I've been playing. So, Chris, are you uh, are you done? Have you cleared your, your list of games that you wanted to talk about today? Yeah, play MLB the show. That's it. Go ahead. That was my one question for you, and it's very short. Is MLB just how hyped you are for MLB that pulled you out of Arkham City, or is it also a mixture of like Arkham is a known quantity and are also the fact that you just came off of Asylum. So you're getting a little bit of Batman, not burnout, but enough to where if another game you're excited for comes out, you're like, yeah, I'll just play that. No, it's definitely hype for MLB because I don't talk about MLB very much on the show because you don't even watch baseball and I don't know how big our audience is for it. But MLB every year is my most anticipated game. Like, yeah, it's to the point where you the other day were like, MLB is out. And I legit 100% was like, I didn't even know that it was coming out. Like, yeah. Of course, I know it comes out every year, but I don't know what time of the year it comes out. I don't know when to expect it. I didn't even know it was on the upcoming games list. Yeah. And here we are. It was, yeah, it's one of those things where I almost regret because I almost regret getting it in Resident Evil um, on disc. Because, like, I'll switch to Resident Evil and play, like, an hour, but then I get a hankering to go back to MLB. And so, like, it's just me popping the discs out all the time. Played, like, five hours of Resident Evil and, like, 30 hours of uh, MLB. So, See, the fact that it's yearly, I think, changes things for you. Because I feel like that's kind of how people are with Gran Turismo, who are Mm -hmm. not into that at all. Like, they just... It comes and goes, and they never it never even crossed their radar. They didn't know it was coming. Um, and here I am like, yeah, Grand Turismo 7 is fucking awesome. So it's I get it. Um, yearly racers to some degree. It just depends. We'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I played Chia, 
And I don't know if you started it yet, but I know that uh, it was Played the game that won for our trophy competition. It won the game of the month. And we have the first person who platinumed it, and that is Josh Ayers. So he gets an extra 1,000 points. Congratulations. Um, for being the, the Chia Platinumer. He did it. Um, the game's interesting, man. Um, it's it's very playful. It gives me – like I can see where people are picking up Breath of the Wild vibes to it just because of the freedoms that you have with the game mechanics. Um, but there's also like mad Wind Waker vibes to me. A, partially because of the art style. B, because it's way more sail-driven than I thought it would be. Like you're on a boat and <laughs> navigating mm-hmm. this little area. Um and just generally adventure. So it's it's good. I need to go back to it. Uh, I'm not like super far. I'm also not not far. I've, uh, I went and saw Mayavora, if I remember his name correctly, and woke up on a weird island and have completed that as far as I can tell. So that's where I need to go back to. But the game that ended up taking up more of my time uh, and really surprised me just because it's, it stands now as the example of what I want the newly reformed was it sky was it sky what is the damn name of that developer who bought telltale sky dance sky dance yes it is what i hope the new telltale is aiming to do with their games and that's life is strange true colors and the reason i say that is i like the life is strange games i think they're all really good and they are interesting and unique little experiences that i'm glad to play you know um but they've consistently not looked great They've kind of always felt like, well, they're art driven, so we don't worry about a lot of hyper detail. Like, you know, we just be artistic with it and you enjoy it for what it is, kind of like before their before your eyes has got a very simple art style, but it plays into it. And I enjoy that and I think that's quite cool. But I was very surprised to see that true colors looks excellent. Like it brings way more detail to the face. Mocap, if that even is what, and that might be that they're, they are using mocap now, but facial animation looks considerably, uh, considerably better. And in a game that's about emotions, like that game is where this, you know, your main character, since all the life is strange games kind of play around with the protagonist having some sort of power, uh, and how that impacts their world. Um, her thing is that like she can feel people's emotions to the point where she experiences them like they're their own if they're strong enough. And that's great. But nuance of facial performance really goes a long way in helping sell that. So it's been really cool to actually see that game push that and be able to do a lot more interesting stuff with uh, just general texture detail, being able to do like focus pulls with its digital camera in order to kind of make things more dramatic or interesting. And it surprised me. So my hope is that a lot of the pains that the Telltale games had, when we get Life is, uh, not Life is Strange, but when we get Wolf Among Us 2, I hope that that game ups the ante as much as I feel like this one did uh, for their respective type of series, you know? I really loved the original Life is Strange, but I haven't played Before the Storm or 2 or that superhero game thing that they did. That yeah, was a I Life of Strange game, I guess. It was like a prequel to two. Yeah, or it's it's weird because it involves a character that you meet and interact with in two. Mm-hmm. Um, two is great. I really oh, I, I two is that. two is fantastic. Um, so is one. You know they they play into this similar thing, and I I notice they're all very musically driven. They really try and paint this like, well, how do images and performances and music and decision making all come together to give you a different type of immersion and i like that because you know 
I've been tired lately since I've been doing so much work and it's been a little hard for me to want to like play PSVR two because I've just been very tired. Um, so it's like I get back in and I'm like, man, I've been standing and doing all this extra work. I just don't really want to stand and play games right now. But my attention span for even playing a normal game like Chia is a little lower. It's like I find myself more often like slinking off onto my phone and just being like, I'm just content with sitting here and like just bullshitting. Um, so Life is Strange is good in that it didn't require a lot of effort but I had a lot of great immersion with it. And I was glad to have that. Like, okay, it's like the ease of watching a movie with just enough influence on what's going on to be excited about continuing. It's like, cause I know that my choices are playing into it. And that's really the value of those games. Um, I just think that one did a good job. Not an excessively long game, a fairly easy platinum. Actually, I, arguably maybe the easiest platinum in the whole series. Really? Um, now, you still have to... One thing I really appreciate, though, is that's different from Telltale is you have to do extra stuff. Basically, you have to explore. Mm-hmm. So, so you this take game, pictures, right? First game, pictures. Second game, it's like you have to interact with certain items with that person's power set. So it's always tied to that. It's collectibles tied to a power set. And then this one, it's like items that have been left around that have strong emotional like memories tied to the to the item itself. So it's like a a business card that had like a really negative emotion tied to it. And you focus in on it and hit X and you hear like a memory of what happened around it. And you get to kind of experience it through Alex's mind. So it's, it's interesting. Some of the things start to feel like you expect it in a way that's not as good. Like it depends on, I'll say not as good, but it's like the, excitedness of it goes away because like in the new game it's like oh there's two people one's a boy and one's a girl clearly we're going to give you a chance to try and romance one and be either you know do you want to be normal cis straight person or do you want to be bisexual or do you want to and it's like um it's cool that they're doing that and i don't really care and actually in this particular run through uh run through of the game i did choose to have alex who's a girl uh get with stephanie and great but where I'm going with that is I wish that they would break free from that to a slight degree. Thankfully, two didn't do that. Um, but one before the storm and this all kind of have that. And it just starts to feel like, yeah, you've done that. Like, you know, it's cool. And I know that it's giving those people representation and that's that's fine. But at some point, it feels like your game becomes like, you know, that's going to come into the game. And that makes mm-hmm. it a little less genuine feeling. It more feels like a me and Joe talked about this in the episode he was in. It's got when you when you do it that way, it starts to feel a little bit like color by the numbers. Like you start to consider that part of the thing where it's like a game could be a life is strange game without you having to be sexually vague and let the me make the decision. And I find that interesting. Maybe because I'm a completely, you know, straight white male, whatever you want to call it. But point being is I don't find sexuality to be that determining of a of a trait for a character in that game. So it's like I don't super care about making that decision. Like it's fine, but I I would like to see something shake up a little bit and be like, well, we're going to stop focusing on that because it it feels cliche within the series. If that makes sense, yeah, I get that. Because I mean, the, I like the way that they did it in um, the first game where it was just like I don't remember it was Max, right? Max and Chloe. Yeah, yeah where well, right. you could you could have Max like go for a kiss on Chloe or something like that. Yeah. I, I thought that was that was an interesting way to go about it, but yeah, I felt like it was a little more subtle. It's a little more overstated in this game. 
So I mean, it's fine. It just is what it is. Still enjoyed the game a lot. And I think that the story it was trying to tell, it's interesting that I think one and two feel more, hmm, I don't describe this. One and two feel more life shattering. Like the events feel bigger. And yeah, I can see before that. the storm and this game both have side vibes. And I guess that makes sense. So they didn't call this life is strange three. They called it before life is strange storm. true colors. And I think it's the same. Uh, I think it's the same developer as before the storm. But it does feel a little closer. That's not a bad thing. It, 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 but it doesn't feel as like as big of a story. Whereas the repercussions of one and the repercussions of two feel like they have higher stakes. And I don't really know how to describe that because if you've played True Colors, there's plenty going on. I think it's just the way they choose to craft it. And I, maybe it's just that you're really getting the story differences between Don't Nod and how they choose to write and tell stories versus how... Um, what is that developer? Deck 13 or whoever it is. Deck 9, I think it might be what their name is. Do it. Deck 13 is the uh, Mafia guys, right? Oh, Hangar 13 is Mafia. Hangar 13. I think Deck 9, yeah, Deck 9 Games is the one I'm thinking of. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's, it's cool, though. I do really enjoy those games, and I hope that they continue. I, I assume they've continued to do well. It's actually made me want to replay the first one, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about buying the remaster and just going for Platinum again just to, as a good excuse to replay the first one because I enjoyed it. But this is one of those weird states uh, situations where I feel like you should look at the screenshot comparisons between them. While it may be higher res and arguably higher texture quality, something about it feels artistically worse and more simplistic. Like really? there's a scene where um, there's like a play going on. And in the original, there's like a nice bloom light coming over and kind of cascading over the people. And in the remaster, it's like they're just silhouettes. And I'm like, how did you take away from the mood in remastering the game to a degree? And I haven't seen it in motion. I've only seen the screenshots. But Well, that's also like... Um that controversy with the San Andreas definitive edition where they took out all the fog, which was used for mm-hmm. ambiance and making the city look smaller. So then in the remaster, when they take that out, cause they don't need to hide detail. It's like, Oh, this city's like a mile long. <laughs> yeah. It's remasters are apparently just a really hard thing to go through. And it, I guess it's, it makes you appreciate developers like other ocean who which is more of a remake studio but uh, and previously back when blue point used to be more remaster driven they were excellent at remastering games and you never felt like you lost anything if anything you felt like you gained something usually like their remasters of uncharted were excellent remaster of gravity rush excellent the remaster of uh, eco and shadow of the colossus excellent so they had a really great history running with that where you never felt like you were playing something that felt different but that was also long enough ago that I wonder if I played Last of Us, or not Last of Us, if I played Life is Strange Remastered for the first game without looking at the screenshots to begin with, I wonder if I'd have felt that. Or if I'm, now that I've brought it up, it's too on my mind and I won't, I'll notice it now and it'll act as a detractor. But I don't know, maybe it won't. Maybe I'll play it and I'll just get lost in that story again because I do think it's a good story and it won't matter. It's but, probably that one, I think. Yeah, it's still just interesting. Uh, remasters, you don't you think about it as a way to keep moving a game forward, but uh, to some degree, some of that artistry uh, artistry is lost. Even though the whole point is to try and bring that artistry forward, so it's like as yeah. much as you bring forward, you're probably leaving behind because you're not the same artist that originally created that. Mm. Yeah, 
Which goes back to the question. When you're preserving a game, what's the best version to preserve? Yeah. I, I can't. I, mean, I don't know how they're going to do that. We've got the patch files for all of the Apex Legend seasons and all of the balance patches they've done. It sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. I think that really goes back to that idea of YouTube being just an invaluable source in that. The only downside to that is I do YouTube is still ran by a business and it's at the whim of being shut down at any given time. <laughs> yeah. So it's like hundreds of really interesting things could just be lost. Thousands, millions of interesting pieces of look backs on older stuff can just be lost. And that's unfortunate. It is sad. Hopefully it never comes to that. All right, man. Well, my hope, uh, and I'll go ahead and throw it out there, Stingray X, I intended to play Pavlov with you. It didn't happen. Sunday was supposed to be my day to relax, and then I ended up trimming my hedges and putting trim, interestingly enough, trimming trimming a door and trimming the hedges um, and cleaning up a a bunch of destruction work that I'd done the day before just because I my wife pulled me out to start helping her clean the porch and it became, I'm working, might as well keep working. But I do want to get to that soon. And uh, if Chris keeps eyeing these PSVR headsets, maybe he can get with it too. <laughs> Don't tempt me. It's very possible. Chris, do you want to let everyone know that GameStop did the opposite for you of what they did for everyone Oh, else? God, yeah. Um, so I tried to cancel my Resident Evil Collector's Edition pre-order. It was just I, I wanted to get the Baldur's Gate one instead, and um, <clears throat> I wanted to pay some bills and have that money this week. And I kept trying to cancel it. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's canceled. It's fine. It just kept giving me errors, but then it wouldn't show up, and then sometimes it would show up, and sometimes it wouldn't show up in my orders. So I'm like, whatever. It's canceled. And then I, I wake up one morning. It's like... $265 taken out of your account from GameStop Corporation. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was one of those things where I'm like, well, I'm not going to cancel it because they've already shipped it. And I don't want to go through the hassle of having to return it. So I guess I'm just getting this collector's edition. But it was just not planned for. So I'm like, cool. I guess I should have pre-ordered in store. <laughs> the weird irony that people who wanted it but pre-ordered in store got it canceled and here you are actively trying to cancel it and they're like you're getting this goddamn collector's edition whether you like it or not sir yeah like do not fuck with us take this bust of leon s kennedy and you will like it Mm. it's it's fine like it's one of those things where it's like i like it i like the statue it's cool but that bothers gate one was calling my name that's so cool yeah it is cool but it's serendipitous, right? Because now I'm going to buy it digitally, which means you have to play it with us. Oh, and well, uh, Baldur's. Baldur's Gate. And if I had gotten that game on disc, there was a 0.001% <laughs> chance I was convincing you to buy it day one to play with me and Sean. So now it's like, Brett, you have it for free. You're going to play it with us. That is 100% fair. One hundred percent fair. Yeah, I know. There's no shot I could have convinced you, but now, no choice. No choice in the matter. No choice. Well, you know what else has no choice in the matter? What people subscribing to our podcast? Uh, the community's take for this week, which, if you take? want to be part of, is where we normally 
at the end of every episode, we give a question for you guys and then we put it out on social media and let you guys answer back so we can get a look in at what your thoughts are and different things going on and just get interesting feedback and differing opinions and allow you guys to have a moment to push back on us. Uh, but with that in mind, if you want to be part of that, you got to head over to our social media. So if that's your kind of thing, you can find us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook in the group Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. And if you're listening or watching on YouTube, you can go down into the description, click on the little link for Discord, and uh, join in that. Get us with our more day-to-day chats like we do with a lot of our listeners, definitely a lot of our patrons. Um, and kind of just keep up with us, comment on the show, answer the dedicated section for the community's take, or ask us questions for the show. All of that you can do over the Discord. And remember, if you're listening on a podcast service and you enjoy what we're doing here, you enjoy what you're hearing, you like what's going on, consider giving us a review or a rating. It lets people know whether or not the show is worth their time, and we hope that you think that it is. Uh, And it's also a good one for things like iTunes for you to give us suggestions, just like we had some people suggest that we do timestamps. And so we've made it a priority to pull that in and try and offer that up. But with that aside, the community's take this week – Felt a little, we're doing 300 episodes, or we've done 300 episodes, and I was really, just to be honest, I was a little disappointed with the fact that scheduling and and everything going on, usually these milestone episodes are something we can do really big and really out there, and I think I was so used to being able to kind of do that locally because of Saul that I did not prep enough did not really think about it to give time for Chris to maybe come down here or me go up there, find a way to do something that felt big and interesting in the way that we usually did. So as much as this is episode 300 and I'm glad that it is. And we've had a lot of you for the majority of that runtime. And some of you are far newer um, in some ways, Welcome. like we've talked about with Saul leaving the show. This is, the same name podcast and a lot of the same things, but this is still in a way a new show. So we're going to have to start relearning how to do some of these things. And hopefully next, uh, you know, when we get to 350, if we're lucky enough, uh, we can do something bigger, better, but schedules mixed up. Saul couldn't make it on due to his scheduling. And Chris, of course, had limited scheduling. He had things going on. So I'm glad we're here. But we wanted to take a time and kind of look and be like, you know, what we can't, what can we do? We wanted to make a community focused episode and kind of really give a lot of shout outs to you guys and to the show and rock, you know, kind of walk down memory lane. So with that in mind, the community stake this week was to celebrate 300 episodes. We seem like it's best to ask you all what has been your favorite interaction on the podcast since you've started listening can be a favorite topic, a goofy inside joke, what it was that made you a consistent listener or whatever you'd like to shout out. And guys, <clears throat> y'all came out full, full fledged. We have so many answers. And because this is a community driven uh, show, we're going to read them all. We know that's not for everybody. Again, please use timestamps if that's for you. But I would feel remiss to not shout out everyone who took a second to write something in and talk to us about what they've enjoyed about the show. Uh, And it's a good time to remember some of the fun that we've had throughout the show. So the first one we have comes from one of our patrons, Aztec King. He says, I've really enjoyed the crossovers with the trophy room and being able to participate in the trophy competition. You guys are awesome. And this podcast is a slinger. I think Chris and I can both say that Joe 
and his him coming into the the show and helping us those times. And of course, that time I went and uh, guested on their show were super fun. I enjoy Joe. I think he's a great guest. I'm glad that he's down to have interesting and potentially difficult conversations. And I will hope to do that more in the future. And right now we have a standing challenge between Chris <laughs> and Mr. K-Step where Chris has been silent. <clears throat> That the call to challenge has been answered, and Chris has not named the time and place. Chris, what's going on here? Here's the here's the thing, right? I'm looking out for Kyle, right? <laughs> no, no, hear me out, right? Because I he got MLB the show a couple days later than me, you know. And if he's listening, he'll understand. Kyle, I have Randy or Rosarena. You can't play me yet. You gotta. We gotta be on a level playing field. So for all the normies listening, Randy Rosarena has has taken me about 40 hours to earn doing very specific challenges and playing with very specific characters and doing missions with those characters and slowly but surely I've unlocked them. So my team is is pretty stacked right now. Now, if he's he's up to maybe, you know, doing it a little sooner, I'm fine with that, but I figured, you know, maybe Maybe he's like Batman. He's going to need some prep time to take out Superman over here. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Strong words thrown out. I think this might be our first charity event. (laughs) I'm down. Let's do it. Best two out of three charity stream. (laughs) I bet we can make that happen. Uh, Guys, we'll get a of course. I did have an idea for that where there is now 2v2 co-op. So Team Triangle Squared versus Team Trophy Room. Each team having one person who has no idea how to play the video game. <laughs> That's actually a brilliant idea. <laughs> Thank you. I think that would be very That is funny. a brilliant idea. I think we can make that happen. Cool. I, call, I mean, so clearly, see, here's the thing. It, it works because it's fair of that, but I would almost like to cross-reference where it's like me on Kyle's team. Just to see the oh. hell that breaks loose. But it's fine. You're right. We, this is team versus team. Yeah. This will be for charity. Someone's talked about whether or not we've ever thought about doing those. And now we have. Uh, it's just we continue to have issues with looking at scheduling. So maybe this can be our very fun, cool thing that we do. Maybe here in a month or two, we can find a way for Chris to come down, get everything set up, you know, be side by side, going together, mm-hmm. playing some 2v2. <laughs> MLB the show. It. Maybe and Chris, a, Chris can finally pay, play Gran Turismo 7 with the steering wheel in VR. I don't want to because then you know it's going to happen. I'm going to come I, home and have it because we played Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. once and now I've got a thousand cards at least that I'm just chilling. Dude, that's why I'm telling you. Listen, listen. This is very important. You can still move down here. <laughs> All those Yu-Gi-Oh cards suddenly come back into play. You can be part of Yu-Gi-Oh night. Don't think I haven't thought about it. It's it's very possible. I've got a I've got a slanger resume, so honestly, I can go anywhere I want. I mean, I got a house you can rent next door. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Hey, it's enough room for anyone that you want to bring. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Problem is, I'm not single anymore, so. It would be yeah, a little more right. of, a, of an issue, but we'll see. It could happen. Listen, babe, this is this is my career. This is my mm. career. We're moving <laughs> from my career. <laughs> anyway, moving along. We've got Shave Dog two four seven. He says probably listening and laughing at the infamous silent protagonist debate 
or the time my group was using the 12 player raid glitch in Destiny 2 and we carried Brett through the <laughs> DSC raid. That was awesome. Chris, you know, you talk about how Destiny's fun, but you also have things where you're like, I just don't want to give into it. If you've ever wanted to just feel like a power fantasy in Destiny 2, doing a raid where you do the whole thing with 12 people instead of six and you're done in like 30 minutes is incredible. <laughs> that does sound Inc- incredible. That does sound more fun than anything I've ever done in Destiny. Here's the problem. If I'm thinking of the right raid, the only thing I remember of that entire raid is A, you have to go and use these damn pikes and stuff, and you got to find these little areas to work your way through. And then B, there's an area where there's like two sides, and you have to have people going through each one. Significantly easier when you actually have 12 people that are carrying you through it. But yeah, it's to the point where it happens so quickly. My memory of it is that it was stupidly easy to do a raid. I don't remember the raid so much as I just remember I just did a raid with 12 people in 30 minutes. It was amazing. That does sound pretty nice. Can't deny that. Yeah. Yep. Better than nice. seven so, hours Chris, like every time I played that goddamn game. Continue. Get out your shovel. Are you ready? I'm digging. Because we buried the hatchet, but we're oh. digging that motherfucker back up. Oh, no. Are we doing this again? Listen, we have to come to a consensus. No, we can't come to a consensus. We're never going to come to a consensus because I, I strongly us, disagree. Chris. Okay, I fine. believe in us, Chris. All right, go ahead. All right. So all you have to do, listen, I'm, I've got this. Is how we do it, right? Yep. I've I've solved the problems of the world. We can do this and then move on, and the world will be a better place. Are you ready? All you have to do, Chris, I'm ready, is look into the camera, dead in the eyes. And say, I, Chris Figs, was wrong. <laughs> and we're good. That's it. I, Chris Figs, am 100% correct. God damn. All right, I thought that was going to work. <laughs> I really did. You almost tricked me, to be fair. I came close. And then I'm like, no, wait. He's wrong. Mm. Well, I got to tell you, uh, I still stand on the fence that Skyrim is the silent protagonist. Again, he, he's the most talkative character in the game. <laughs> I don't no, know how to... No, he is not. A thousand percent the most talkative character in the game. Especially... Even if, even if we were going to try and use his text options as speech, he is not the most talkative option in that game. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course he is. Of course Pe- he is. People do not shut the fuck up in that game. <laughs> yeah, but repeating... <laughs> Oh, a traveler! I got, I used to be a traveler like you, and then I blew up on my knee. is is not the same as having multiple different lines of dialogue that you can say throughout hours upon hours of gameplay. Well, you can you can the write dra- them down or sign them. You know, the Dragonborn. Can I ask you something, Chris? Yeah, you can. When you don't speak, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And you just sit there and you don't use your vocal cords to create sounds and expel them from your mouth. You know, move them, articulate your lips yeah. to give shaping to these sounds that your throat is making. What okay. do they call you? Do they call you a mute? I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> Here's okay. Well, let's, let me spin this back on you here, buddy. Right? 
Because if I'm texting my girlfriend, I am talking yep. to my girlfriend. But you're not. You're texting her. No, I'm talking to her. So you're we're, choosing to we're communicate having a conversation in a nonverbal way. Therefore, silent. No. Unless the entire time that you're texting her, you're going, hey, babe, what do you want to go do for dinner tonight? Well, cons- Saying the words as you type them? Considering you I'm illiterate, yes. <laughs> then, then, Chris, your argument stands for you. Does it stand for the majority of the population? Right, but it does say, stand for the protagonists in Skyrim. You want to know how I know? You, look, I'll tell you right now. So whenever have you, it may not be for you. I hate phone calls that continue to go on past the point of their usefulness. It's like a huge deal for me. And my yes. wife can start realizing when I start, like she'll call me and then she'll tell me what she needs to know, like what I need to know for the call. And then after about 30 seconds of nothing of any more importance coming up, it's like I have things I could be doing other than having a phone pressed to my ear or a Bluetooth headphone in where I'm just listening, waiting for you to say something. So I'm going to get off the phone. Uh-huh. And she knows I'm very adamant about that. So the point being is I can do that through text because I'm not having to sit there and think and com- converse in real time. I could just do it when I have a chance and I have to worry about exerting force to talk or think about how I'm going to exert, you know, how I'm going to actually say this so I don't trip over myself and I can just <clears> do it in my free time. That's why that is a preferred way of text. That's why people go, I don't have the energy or the, the, the emotional capacity to talk right now, but you know, I can, I can browse Facebook and post on there and tweet and talk on discord. That's why that exists again. But I go back to my question, Chris. The argument is not that the Skyrim protagonist speaks loudly. The argument is that he doesn't speak at all. The argument is the argument is that (laughs) in universe, the dragonborn Mm -hmm. is speaking. Not that we hear him, but that we choose what the NPC hears in universe. Again, you've tried to make the argument that the Skyrim Dragonborn is walking around with an Etch-A-Sketch typing out what he's saying, which I fundamentally disagree. He doesn't say anything. We are talking on his behalf because that's the purpose of that game. You are playing a role. He is a silent protagonist. We're doing what? You were playing a role? No, 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 no. You said, you said we are talking on his behalf. So yeah. I'm going to take are that and win. But yeah, you are playing the character. See, now listen, you have a much, let's compare two games that let you do that, right? Mm. Skyrim, right? Yes. Fallout 4, Mass Effect 3, right? Sure. When you hit a button to say what you're wanting to say and make that decision in those games, what happens? Uh, he articulates them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're not silent, right? So are you telling me that yes. everyone <laughs> in an old school JRPG doesn't speak because you 100%. have to read them? That is mm-hmm. asinine. <laughs> <laughs> the entirety depends, of Final right? Fantasy VII, nobody talks. They're all silent. Yep. It depends, though, unless the game's giving them like that. <laughs> You know, I think like you made the argument worse. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm here to fuck shit up, Chris. At this point, 
I'm, I'm entrenched. My shovel, I've digged so far that there's no way for me to climb out. Also, I just don't agree with you. In the end, I won the <laughs> fan poll, I believe. And even if I didn't, I'm the only one with <laughs> the intellect to understand what I'm saying. Like Rick and Morty, my argument is too <laughs> advanced for you. <laughs> Oh, hide your Szechuan sauce. Um, okay. Well, I'm right. You're wrong. Let's continue. Sky Chris, you're going to love this one. Is loud. Go, yeah. You're going to love this one. It's my favorite answer, if I'm being honest. Okay. I'm hyped. My buddy, my longtime friend, Donovan, a.k.a. Nomad of the Fence, a patron, he says, got to be when Chris physically came down to Arkansas to force Salt to quit the show. <laughs> That is what I did, yeah. Yeah, you guys don't know because we did it off camera, but as soon as we got done with episode 250, uh, Chris challenged Saul, and he said, now Mm -hmm. listen, he said, if I win this game of rock, paper, scissors, come episode 273, (laughs) you're out. Yeah. I don't even know if 273 is the right episode, but let's just roll with it. All right, we're rolling. All right, 269. <laughs> okay, I like that. If it was me, I would have chosen an even number because odd numbers make me uncomfortable, but that's fine. Mm. How does it make you feel? <laughs> uncomfortable. uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, would you like to regale them with how you uh, came down here and forced Saul to quit? Yeah. Um, I offered him you know, a, a duel, like in the olden days, we would decide. So, I took you know, we stood back to back with our dual senses in our pocket and it was three paces forward. And then Brett shot his dual sense in the air. And then As I won. Do. Everyone knows. I, yeah. The, the, the triggers are the actually duel. resistive because there's a mechanism in there to shoot. People just don't right. think about that. Exactly. Yeah. That's why it feels like you're really shooting. <laughs> right. Exactly. It shoots a lot of ratchet and clanks and mm-hmm. I won. I won the fight. So, yeah, he's mm-hmm. gone. Yeah, the thing about dual sense is it doesn't come loaded. Yeah. So you're yeah, you're just filling the trigger mechanism basically. I gotta but, find know, nuts you, around the environment to to fill them up. That's how it works. That's yeah, how it works. So that is that's how it happened. Um, it's unfortunate. Uh, Saul actually died, and yeah. is just that's why you haven't heard or seen from him. Uh, anytime that he's in the Discord, it's because I'm logging into his account just to keep his memory alive. Mm-hmm. The ghost of the, you know, the Phantom of Saul Bridges lives alongside the ghost of Blake Post. Yeah, he's moved on to be Sony Fan sixty nine. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, B Raj eighty eight, one of our patrons, comes in with a very heartfelt one, but it can't can't completely hide away from a joke. He says, "My favorite joke was the open where you guys did your own take on a Metagear Solid." <laughs> Just to clarify before right? we go any further, that was Abandon's supposed leak script. And we just decided to have a blast with it. We gave oh, we made voices. Oh no! What was the the code name? It was oh, like no. uh, code name cum dumpster kid. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you said kid after that cum dumpster kid is not a sentence that I think is probably good for you. Just throwing that out there. Not a good look. That not, that listen. 
cum dumpster kid sounds like a DC side character from like it's the sixties. <laughs> it sounds like garbage pail kids, but like the weird adult offshoot. It's not a good look. It's what grows out out of the socks that get thrown away. Oh. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Hmm. <laughs> but yes, that um, was good. That was I, I can't remember the name of the dumb project because it was it was ridiculous, but it was quite fun. I actually, I, I still hope that game comes out or we start hearing about it again, so I can message Hassan myself and send him that file to make sure he puts it in. And then a bonus file will be that you can find the one that we did as Mickey and Goofy at the very end. Yeah. It was uh that was like that's hidden. That's deep cut material. You had to keep listening past the outro to hear it. I don't know yeah. how many people did, but we put it there and it was a good time. Yeah, that's one of the my favorite things that we used to do with midweek matinee is I would always just not tell you guys that I started recording the show and then uh we would just put did the ridiculous stuff that happened before it. Um it was called Zero Cell, by the way. Zero, Zero cell. cell kid. <laughs> God, that game. They, so, they continuing on. Oh, look at them go. Maybe it's not, you know, phantom wear, but that's okay. He says, I sat in my driveway to, for 10 minutes laughing my ass off. I don't remember the particular incident, but I remember I had a shit day at work, and it was exactly what I needed. This <laughs> podcast has done a lot for me, oddly enough, from reigniting my love for gaming, other than Madden and Call of Duty, to being a huge distraction for me when my dad got sick and ultimately passed away. Thank you, Brett. Chris and Saul for your insights, laughs, and the crippling addiction to purchasing physical media. My wife and bank account hate you guys, but I deeply appreciate you. <laughs> Listen, B. Raj, first and foremost, I'm so super sorry about your father, and I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, in a weird way, the podcast was a great way for me to get my mind off of things whenever my grandfather passed. Um, and you have that weird, creeping feeling that you're never going to get past it. and You don't know what the world feels like without this super important person in your life. And my grandfather was very much my father figure in my life. So um, I empathize with you. I sympathize with you. And um, man, I'm glad we could do anything of good with all the dumb, ridiculous stuff that we talk about on here. Uh, you know, and I like to think that we occasionally have truly interesting and good insight. But if we're being honest, at the end of the day, part of what makes this show fun is just the ridiculous stuff we end up talking about. Um, so I'm glad we could act as a distraction for you, Chris. Yes, the, I cede the floor to you. <laughs> Zero cell. Um. No, I mean, you put it pretty well. I'm glad that you've joined me on buying the physical PS3 games. And I can't wait to bid against you in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad it doesn't show you who you're bidding against. Yeah. I was on the Discord uh... like, stop bidding on Record of Argus War, the limited edition panty set. I need it. What was that old... I can't think of what it's called right now, but do you remember the commercials that used to come on TV for the old bid site where it's like, you can get an iPad for like $12. Yes. I remember. <laughs> I cannot for the zoo. Zeus. What was it? Hold on. It's not Zeus. That's the stuff. That, that's what the restaurants have. Ziosk. <laughs> yes. Ziosk. I hate those things. <sighs> I cannot for the life. Zillow. No, Zillow's for homes, isn't it? Damn it. Zillow is for homes. 
I can't remember, but I just remember those those little commercials, and they were terribly produced. Do you have any? Uh, I, this is a weird aside, but do you have any like local commercials from your area that have just become like local legend? No, Where they were never like broadly really. done. Whenever no, we were in so. the hospital with Kyrie, whenever Hannah was pregnant, <laughs> we don't usually watch TV, but in the hospital they had TV, so we were watching it, and at the time. Our staples had closed and went out of business whenever that all happened. And the place was bought out by like a f- discount furniture place. <laughs> and they had a commercial where it was just like sliding through pictures of couches and stuff. And at one point, they're talking about uh, and this five piece sectional couch for $299.99, talking about sectional healing. <laughs> and that has remained a staple of my entire friend group down here. Me and my wife sing it back to each other constantly. It's it's golden. I love it. It's one of my favorite commercials of all time. I like that. That's very funny. <laughs> uh, I, I feel sad for you that you have no. I guess it's a southern thing. Have you ever? Because I'm assuming by now that you've seen the old classic. Uh, you can find it at the market. We talking about flea market? Said Montgomery. <laughs> no, I've never seen that. Yeah, that's a, that's like a local commercial that blew up, and everyone ended up finding out. So you can find it at the market. We're talking about flea market. You should definitely view it one of these days. It's fairly long. It's a ridiculous commercial. I can't believe anyone ever made it, but I'm glad it exists. The one the I remember. I'm trying to remember the lyrics. It was uh, Jones Barbecue and Foot Massage. Jones Barbecue <laughs> and Foot Massage. Yeah, yeah. What a banger, you know? What a banger. It's a uh, moving along, Rude Days 93, one of our patrons, says, I quite enjoyed Chris's evolution from hating Red Dead 2 to now it being one of his favorite games. So what do you say to that, partner? <sighs> Good girl. <laughs> Good boy. Boy. Oh, come here, girl. <laughs> yeah, um... I don't know. I can't give Blake too much more satisfaction over this. Seeing as <laughs> apparently in the Discord he had a screenshot of me saying Red Dead sucks from years ago. I was like, mm. that is respect and dedication to the uh, assumption that I'm going to come around. And he was right. I came around. Red Dead rocks. I'm so proud of him because he has his, what I think the kids call it these days. He has the receipts. He does. <laughs> he do be spitting facts. One of these days, we're going to have to cold open with uh... a <laughs> Chris. Enjoy Red Dead Redemption too. I'm trying to Dutch, <laughs> but my dummy thick butt keeps clapping, and I can't hear the dialogue. <laughs> I keep hitting circle, <laughs> and I can't climb. <laughs> Damn it, Dutch. No, um, yeah, that was like my, my only real genuine complaint for that game is outside of how slow the start is, the fact that the button contact sensitivity problems were a huge deal. That's a problem in so many games. Mm-hmm. Sea of Thieves included. Also, I played Sea of Thieves this week. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> that was the game I did play Sunday uh, with Donovan. It was a good time. But, Don't yes, you eventually run into... Uh, you know, so we're, we have a tit for tat right now, right? Because... yeah. What we have against PC right now, right? PC has infinitely more buttons than we do on our controllers, but we have 
games that just work out of the box, unlike you know The Last of Us Part One <laughs> on PC. Ish. So you know what? We'll take our controllers and we'll deal with this lack of buttons, and you can take your drivers and shove them up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I joke. I mean, clearly I have a PC, but if I'm being honest with myself, that is the exact reason that PC gaming is a pain in the ass sometimes is everything will be working. And then suddenly a new game comes out and it just shits the bed. You all remember Arkham, Arkham Knight's PC release. Shit. I think everyone does. (laughs) Do you remember the PC release for um, Callisto? I, I, like I don't it would wanna. stutter on jump scares. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, terrible. John, terrible. Barbecue and foot massage. Sorry, I got that stuck in my head now. <laughs> Rude Cold, another patron, says, It's hard to pinpoint an answer when it's always such quality and good fun. That makes me laugh often. The Minerga Solid impressions were definitely a highlight. Look at that. That's two for, our, uh, for my fake David hater. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad at all. That is one of our crowning jewels, I think. Yeah, it was a good time. Uh, TT Dog six 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 comes in. Another one of our patrons. He says the competition's fun, even if I don't have a chance of winning. This is a trophy competition. It's nice to see other people's progress in my own feed, even if Brett seems oblivious to notifications on there, so I don't see his at all. I have remedied this. I did not know that there was a social side of true trophies. I am clearly an idiot, but I also hardly use my own social things outside of Discord. So is what it is, but I have fixed that. Um, he says, which used to be fairly barren. Overall, though, it's a gaming podcast with a preference for one console that doesn't stoop to continually bashing other consoles to try and be edgy. That's lowbrow content at best. I've stopped listening to several podcasts on both sides of the supposed console war when they start barrel scraping like that. Uh, and yeah, I definitely pride ourselves on, you know, we'll say... I'll say what I'll say about any company if, if, if they're mm-hmm. going a route that I think is uh, not what I would prefer, right? I've talked plenty of good and bad about Nintendo, good and bad about Xbox, good and bad about PlayStation. Um, so at the end of the day, we want to be genuine. I think we want what we say to mean something. And I think that can only really happen if we're looking at things in a rather objective sense and talking about the things that we do and don't like. And uh I genuinely have prided the fact that we've always done that. Even when Chris came into play, you know, Chris is, Chris likes to stir the pot with bits a little bit more. And I, I know that not I don't know that everyone necessarily gets that uh, every time, at least not immediately. Mm. But sometimes Chris's dedication to the bit is important. Because realistically <laughs> the dead bit the red dead bit was a bit. Oh yeah. But he also didn't love the game. But his hatred wasn't as strong as you would have thought. No, my hatred came from Blake getting so angry that I didn't like it that I tripled down on it. That's all it was. And then, but I didn't, you were right. I did not like it. (laughs) Just didn't vehemently hate it and think it's the worst game of all time, like I would say. Fair point. So, TT Dog, thank you, A, for introducing us all to True Trophies and having that be the basis for the trophy competition. I continue to think that it is the ideal, for the most part, situation for the trophies. Gives every game more or less a fair shake and a fair run. Yes, it still means that some of these taco jump games and stuff give you 900 points, uh, but it at least is a way to try and level the playing field to where the platinum for Mortal Shell doesn't equal the platinum for My Name is Mayo. And regardless of how you feel about either of those platinums, I think we should at least all be able to, to say they aren't the same. <laughs> 
or they shouldn't be the same at the very least. To Chris's point, a platinum is a platinum, and at the end of the day, they they have that in common no matter what. But uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see the games be weighted against how many other people get them because it gives a real sense of what you are and are not doing. And Chris, I think you'd be, uh, I, I think you would agree that half of the games that you you've been trying to go for throughout this competition have obscenely high true trophy scores. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, how's that zoo game going? <laughs> oh, God. I took a, I'm going to go back, but I took a break. It's a lot of sitting there doing nothing. So It's funny that my, since we're on the trophy <laughs> competition for a bit, uh, I've been using the trophy competition as a means to just go through the list of little indie titles that I've been meaning to play forever and being like, mm-hmm. yeah, cool, I'll play that. Like, uh, I finally downloaded, and it doesn't mean I'm going to play it soon, but I'm like, if I have it, the chances of me starting it are high. I'm finally going to play Erica. Okay. And I've been just genuinely curious about it since they revealed it. Went back when it was a PlayLink title, when it was supposed to, you know, you use your phone to control the, the inputs and everything. Someone with a um, girl on the cover? Mm-hmm. Like the live yeah, action like chick? A, yeah, it's like an FMV game, basically. Yeah, it's like The Bunker or something like that. Yeah. Cool. So... Yeah, we'll see how it ends up going. Uh, and another game that I downloaded that I've been meaning to play since it came out and heard such great things about it is uh, The Gardens Between. So that's uh, I've got a bunch of small games on my list, and Chris has got gargantuan monsters on his. But you know what? The gargantuan I, monsters can be fun too. Yeah, I guess for me it's like I want to do it, but I don't want to do things that I consider too easy. It's it's weird because I almost would rather impress people with getting fewer than be like, yeah, I've gotten <laughs> I've gotten fifteen, and you know you know what I mean. Like it doesn't appeal to me as much right now, which is sure. weird because I remember when we were doing hours, I was like, I was dropping easy platinums all over the place. Um, like one day, I swear you posted like seven. <laughs> oh, probably yeah. It was pretty bad. Um, yeah. but like now it's more just like. I'm playing what I want and like might platinum it, you know, like Arkham Asylum was kind of like that where I don't even think I told the story, but I only started Arkham Asylum because as people know by now, like me and you game share and my internet was out and Arkham Asylum was the only game that worked. I don't know if it's because both of us own it or something, but like, I don't have anything installed from your account. So... (laughs) That was all that played. So I'm like, I guess I'm playing Arkham Asylum, and I got like three quarters of the way through, and I'm like, I might as well just finish this. So that's the only reason that happens. Yeah, I'm definitely still there. But I think the upside is, is like you've talked about this before, right? Like whenever you're looking at a game and thinking about playing it, the thing that might nudge you across is if it's got a reasonable platinum. Yeah. I'm looking at games that I've been meaning to play and been meaning to make time for. And then I'm going, you know, I'm, I've been tired lately. A lot of these games are easier to just play without feeling like there's a big sense of either, oh, I'm jumping into a 40-hour game or whatever it be. Like, no joke. I was playing Chia, and I was having a hard time focusing. So I was like, I've been wanting to play Life is Strange. They added it. I'm just going to play Life is Strange. And I'm glad I did because it was something to allow me to play and do something I've been looking at doing. And it just also happened to have a meaning, like a manageable platinum to the point where no God played the whole game, got the platinum when the credits rolled. So, I mean, not bad, nice. uh, but I've been enjoying that. I like, think that's the thing. Like 
the gardens between is a puzzle game and i love puzzle games so i'm like yeah i I think it's an easy platinum i haven't looked at the trophy guide yet but i'm pretty sure it's like a four hour platinum or something like that um so you know i mean for the sake of the competition i'm not going to sit here and act like if i if i play the game and i like it and i get the platinum on the ps5 version for the sake of the competition, I may go back and do it on the PS4 version since I already know the answers to everything. But mm-hmm. that's only if I like the game enough to do that. You know what I mean? Um, like, I don't want to... I'm not trying to devalue the, the aspect of a trophy that I enjoy, which is, hey, it's a way for me to showcase a game I enjoy. I got the Platinum in Forspoken. At this point, it's about showing games that I enjoy. Yeah, I don't think anyone would play Forspoken, not like it, and be like, yeah, let me fucking go for the Platinum, because that would be a miserable time if you did not like that game. Miserable. Uh, I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I know. <laughs> Deep down, I know. Not once. Moving right along, we have Stingray X, another patron, and he says, I came into <clears throat> listening to the podcast within the last year or so. Search PlayStation and yours was near the top. That's good to hear. <laughs> listening to Brett, Chris, and Saul felt down to earth and genuine. So I stuck around and the same feelings stayed. Keep up the great work. You know what? Thank you, Stingray. We appreciate it. Hit me up. I promise if you, if you hit me up for Pavlov again, I will not turn you down. I will suck it up even if I'm tired and I'll get up and play it because I've been wanting to play it. And I also need to try out apparently the co-op mode if there is a co-op mode because uh sweet Gran Turismo jones was curious about that he's been looking for a co-op online based shooter and if it's vr then just all the better one more reason one more reason to go uh so of course we keep bringing up saul and um the fact that he's no longer with the show and if you've been listening for a long time, like I know Josh Ayers has, there was a point in time where we kind of went over, like, what would happen if Saul left? And uh, at one point, I think we kind of landed on if Saul ever left, we would just shutter the show. Um, and I feel grateful to have been able to continue the show and do something that most of, uh, you know, a lot of you that actually interact with us uh, still enjoy while not feeling like we're bastardizing the product. And I think a lot of that happens because Saul didn't leave the show due to controversy or drama. Saul left because he had more going on with his life and he wanted to be able to step away and game. And I can appreciate that. Um, so Chris coming in and filling that, you know, it's a good a time as ever to say, Chris, the show is different because of you. The show is different because of us and how we interact with each other different for me and Saul. But I appreciate you coming in every week, being game, working around each other's schedules, always doing whatever it takes to try and do what's best for the show uh, as far as we feel like we can do. And I appreciate that, as well as clearly a lot of the listeners. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me join the show. And thanks for letting me be a nightmare, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a nightmare? Ooh. Yeah. Well, you know what, Chris? It can't be too much of a nightmare because Velvet Thunder, another one of our patrons, says the most I've laughed was definitely the discussion about how to make a video game where your mom gets slapped. <laughs> <laughs> but all the episodes have been gold. You guys have really found your groove, and it's great to see. Uh, a, thank you, Velvet. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, as we've talked about plenty, I think we were pretty open with that. Uh, trying to not reboot a show, but trying to find your footings uh, when half of a show does depart like Saul did, it's an interesting challenge. And it's really pushed me to try and be better at hosting. And no one's perfect. 
But I think Chris and I have found what works for us and a way to move forward with a show that we think is entertaining enough, hopefully not only for you guys, but also us. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, we want to enjoy what we're doing. And I think we've really found that balance with ourselves. Hopefully it resonates with you guys too. And it sounds like here it is. Um, but that's important to us. You know, we don't want to be doing this every week and not enjoying ourselves. Uh, but Chris, <laughs> but Brad. what do we got to do? Where, where are we? Pat? Like, we got to go out and try and pitch this mom slap game. We're sitting on a gold mine, clearly. Yeah, I feel like, <clears throat> I don't know. I think this is one of those things. Oh, okay. Go. VR. You Ooh. have to physically slap your, your in-game mother. I feel like the dual sense can sense if it hits a face or not. It ups the ante considerably. When your that, hand strikes it, it, it gives you the little vibrations. Yeah. Mm. You can feel the tears flying off your mother's face. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. We could pitch it. It seems like a good Nether Realm game. Um, <laughs> maybe Atlas could do a pretty good one. Like, you know, Persona yeah. team taking it over. But this does feel like a. I don't know, like a Lars von Trier film or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. make it really pretentious. Main character talks to himself after committing heinous acts of violence. Um, <laughs> it's the next you know. Life is Strange game. Your power yeah. is that you can slap the shit out of people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and how that how that changes the way you interact with the world and the world interacts with yeah. you. Yeah, we'll call it the uh, the mom that Jack slapped. And that'll be that'll be the whole movie. Yeah, the whole the movie. The house Sony is flat built. Sony pictures Jack built. It's a multimedia thing. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. There's there's animated projects, live action adaptations. I mean, we've got the whole shebang. We can make who, this work. Who would play the main character? <clears throat> or would mm. it be like hardcore Henry? And it's done in first, first person. person. It's immersive. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling. I'm feeling. Yeah, All I, right. I like first person. It's going to be immersive. You yeah. have to. So I would think in the movie, the main character has no lines. You have to fill those in in the theater. Oh, he'd be right? a silent protagonist? No. You would have to be <laughs> the protagonist. It's a first person movie, right? So we would build our own theater so t- with like so, private boxes. So a first boxes. person game? Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. A, first, a first person movie. Keep going. Dig that hole. Keep going. Oh, I'm not digging the hole. My argument still exists here that the Skyrim protagonist speaks in game. No, but I think, you know, it's one of those like choose your own adventure movies kind of thing. Different endings like Clue. I like mm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about, I know we're joking around with all that, but going back to Life is Strange and even how this would work is I think that the good and bad, right? The beauty of video games and their limitations is that you get to create something that has meaning and purpose behind what you did. And people get to interpret it how they choose to interpret it. But there is a part of me that's excited to see if we ever get to a day where games can get to the point where when it's a game that's like Life is Strange, you have enough options to really feel like you're making real decisions and not just a binary you know, or, or if you're really lucky, like three, you know, we have three choices. It would be really awesome to get to a point where something happens in game and then you just are like, my actual response to this would be like, hey, do you want to go out to the, to the game tonight? I'd be like, ah, I'm not feeling it. Like, you know, just it'd be good to have that extra layer of like, how would I respond if someone started yelling at me and accusing me of killing someone? You know, I, 
Maybe my option isn't to just walk away or stay silent uh, or yell at them. Maybe that's not what I would do. Maybe mine's something different. And so how would I interact that and then pose that in the world? But that's the thing about having a character, right? And like you can't do that in a game like Life is Strange because you have a character. And as much as it goes – those games are weird, right? Because I, I have a version of Alex that I feel like is Alex and who is – true to that version of herself. But at the same time, mm-hmm. some of those decisions are so <clears throat> different in how this person would act that someone else's Alex is still the same character in name and appearance and technically, I guess, in experiences, and yet they're different. And do you view that more as... Do you think it's more like we're looking at just, okay, this is a different character completely because everybody is different? Or is it more like we're just seeing different sides of the same character? Because a lot of the time it is a binary. You know, it's like, would you do this or would you do that? And I, th- I can tell you right now, there's days where if the same thing happened to me, I would respond in two very different ways. Um, hold on. Can you reframe and tighten up the question a little bit? Yeah, it's a very loose <laughs> question. My point uh, and the point with the question is when you're playing a game where you make decisions yes. around a character. So let's let's reframe it into Mass Effect, a game that you're more familiar with. Yeah. When you're making decisions that impact the way that you see what um, Commander Shepard's doing and how he's in, he's reacting to something that happens to him or how he chooses to interact with someone else, do you personally view it as like you have your own commander shepherd that you are seeing and everyone's is their own and it's a completely dissected different character or do you think it's more like we're seeing different sides of the same character and it's just people kind of looking in at a different moment in time and his reactions are different based off of what's happened around him like do you think shepherd is a enough of a character that he exists with personality and everything outside of the decisions that characters make for him. Do you, does that make sense? Um, I guess the way I've always considered it is like, it might be a lame answer, but it's just like a multiverse thing, right? Like this is my sure. shepherd, not your shepherd kind of thing. Um, well, that goes back to my thing though. You're still calling him shepherd. So, in this, and when you're really thinking about what this is, do you view Shepard as a character completely free of the decisions you've given to him? No, I don't think you can. That's, I guess that's really my thing, right? Because it's, then the how does that extrapolate go out to Life is Strange? Well, but at, I guess if you look at it from, you still only have so many options, Right. You're not being able to just do literally anything and everything. So while you're definitely painting the way that this shepherd's taking things, there's a part of me that can see how all of the responses and reactions are something that exists within how Shepard would act as a character. But maybe not. But just the well, fact that Shepard has... What would we say? There, like, so consistency. Let's put it everyone, everyone can see... It's kind of like people can love... Um, infamous, right? You can love Cole, but you can play a completely different Cole than I can, but there's still enough central traits to him that you can look at Cole and go, yeah, Cole has 
a personality and things that I like separate of the decisions I make, you know? Well, I guess in the end, like with Mass Effect, it's weird because it's not really possible, but there's there's three versions of Shepard. That's all there is. There's Paragon Shepard. There's a Gray Shepard who doesn't commit to either side. And there's a Renegade Shepard. Those are the only three ways you're going to play it. And realistically, you're not going to play the middle one. So there's only really two Shepards. It's Renegade and Paragon Shepard with mm-hmm. Infamous. There's only really two goals, good or bad. Because the thing is, <clears throat> there isn't a game actually other than Fallout 3 that rewards you for being in the middle. Right? In Infamous, it behooves you to choose a side. In Mass Effect, behooves you to choose a side. Fallout, to a degree, at least four, behooves you to choose a side. So there's only two versions of every character, just because there's variations of, yeah, I'm playing a Paragon, Paragon Shepard, but I'm still going to punch the reporter in the face. Right? Like, that's, a, that's fine, but in the end, there's still only good and bad Shepard. So I think that's actually a fair point. Yeah, it's a fair point. Like everyone feels like it's their shepherd, but at the end of the day, it is one of three variations. And I was going to say, like, there's nothing to say that in Infamous you can't do a good deed for one thing and then the next one choose the evil path. But mechanically, you would get no benefit from that. Yeah, you, exactly. you wouldn't get any of the power up you need. You wouldn't have any payoff from a story because you've not been going towards one path or the other. So if a character suddenly hated you because you went evil this single time, would it, it because of the way the game is coded, it can't account for the fact <clears throat> that you've been good equally as bad as as often as you've been bad. Yeah. So there's not enough benefit to doing so. But I do like that idea. I think that's the difference between like a. Um, it's kind of like Skyrim, right? Going back to that, Skyrim is a created character. Mm. And yeah. the upside to that is that you don't have to... Like, everybody knows what we mean when we say the Dragonborn, but only insofar as you go, okay, so whoever you play as in Skyrim. But since there's no actual body, shape, or form, you kind of just go, yeah, this is my character completely. I never hear a voice. I never see, um, you know. Like, Shepard, if I'm not mistaken, you can you can edit Shepard, can't you? Or is it just male-female? I can't remember. You can add a shepherd. Okay. But they definitely show him as a specific build, which Skyrim does too male, for marketing. Yeah. But, you know, male with a shaved head, <laughs> which arguably Skyrim, the, the dragonborn that's got the iron armor and the, you know, little helmet on is the same thing. Yeah, it's but, Normie Shepherd and Normie Ironborn. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Moving along, Matt Green, another one of patrons, says, I enjoyed the Milestone episode with the live stream and saw playing a Souls game. I think it was Bloodborne. It was Bloodborne. He did his uh, Bloodborne speedrun, where I think it was all bosses speedrun. And I can't remember his exact finishing time, but it was fairly quick. Uh, Also, No Fate recommended I listen. So I've listened ever since. Just might end up a week or two behind regularly, so don't have much to say with Community Takes. Laugh out loud. Matt. We just appreciate that you listen, man. You give in to the community stakes whenever you feel like you have something to add. <clears throat> Otherwise, we appreciate you and definitely the fact that you support the show with more than just your time. We are greatly appreciative of that. Helps keep this show and hey, going. So. Not to mention, we've started taking questions. You don't have to be <clears throat> part of the community stake to be a part of the show. That's true. That is true. With that in mind, we actually go to No Fate, who he referenced, another one of our patrons. He says, for me, the best thing about Triangle Squared is the fact that you take time to interact with your audience. This makes us feel more like friends than just fans. 
glad you feel that way. The show is fun because you have natural chemistry, good banter, and great debates. I've missed Saul, but Chris is an excellent addition to the show. There are so many highlights, but if I had to pick one out of the hat, I'd go with the first time Joe from the Trophy Room came on as a guest to help co-host. Sean, no fate, however you want me to respond to you uh, or you know call you out. Uh, yes, man, we appreciate it. You've been with the show for a long time. Of course, Matt has as well. I'm glad that you found somebody and said, you know, I think you should listen to this. We appreciate that. We urge anyone who enjoys the show, if you think that there's someone in your life that would like it, throw us out there. We may not be for them, but, you know, having the opportunity is always great. Um, but, yeah, I think, Chris, I, every show is a little different. And I think one of the things I really like about the size of our podcasts and the fact that, like, the good and bad, because you talked about earlier, like, there's a part of us that would definitely love for this to be our career because who doesn't like the idea of being paid for something you enjoy doing mm-hmm. and that's based around your hobby? But the flip side of that is... As much as that sometimes it'd be nice for the show to be even bigger, the fact that we've remained a pretty steady size once we got up big enough, in my opinion, that we've been able to communicate and talk with people and talk with fans and remember who we're talking to and know who they are and have a rapport with them and be able to have that friendly feel to it rather than just feeling like a one-way conversation um, has been really nice because... Chris, I think you can speak to this. You've had that feeling when you're listening to a podcast and there's this odd feeling of being, it's not a bad feeling, but there's this odd feeling of like, wow, I feel like I'm a fly on the wall here or like a friend at the other side of the table who's just choosing not to talk because I hear these people so often that you build a version of, this is almost like friends in my ear that I hear all the time. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a really big difference with being able to interact on Twitter and Facebook and have people call or play games online with people and help people like Bailey Robertson get a trophy in Far Cry 5 that I enjoy about our size as much as it would be cool to get bigger. You know, like I really appreciate that extra layer of closeness, I guess. We get to be down to earth with the fans. And I'm not saying other podcasts don't aren't down to earth. I think Colin's a pretty down to earth dude and I don't listen to, you know, the sacred symbols. I know that you do sometimes. I do. So, but I enjoy, like that was the part I liked about, he always felt like he was down to earth. Uh, so I'm glad we can offer that up. But Chris, do you have any thoughts on our interaction parts? No, I mean, it's funny cause I, most podcasts I listen to don't do as much. So even sometimes on this show, I've had the thought of like, Brett, why are you saying that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it just never, it doesn't feel like the norm, but then seeing more and more like recognizing people or even Velvet's Corner, you know, becoming a thing just because we knew Velvet was always going to throw some question to try and throw us off our game and then failing miserably because we're both very prepared for the stupid shit that he's got to say sometimes. (laughs) Um Today's big issue. We'll see. I'm I'm always prepared for the man. Um, But yeah, no, I just think that's a really good, it's really good. You know, because like I said, there was sometimes we'd be like, and then, you know, he's a patron. And I'm like, hey, I feel like you don't need to say that every time. But very clearly, it's, it resonates with the audience more than I thought. So I'll give you your flowers on that. So I'll give you that. (laughs) Hey, man, I'm just uh, shouting out the people who support us. 
It's the best I can do. The fact that anyone gives a shit about the fact that I get on here once a week and just say a bunch of stuff about how I feel about games. It's pretty cool. <laughs> no, it is nice. Anyone Absolutely. who chooses to interact and chooses to go further and help support the show. Um, yeah, you, you deserve that extra shout out. So, Sean, thank you. Appreciate you, sir. Uh, and yeah, Joe, once again, great guest. Uh, and I really do want to start having more guests on the show. It's something I'm really aiming toward. And also to have us branch out and go to other <clears> shows <throat> to the point where I'm actually looking at guesting on uh, an Xbox podcast. And I've been talking with someone. So we'll see if we make that happen. And maybe mm. we can get him on ours as well. Uh, la la. It's nice to have someone in the thick of it that kind of does come from that other side of the aisle. Because, you know, I'm perfectly fine with Xbox. I just played mine this week. But Clearly, I tend to view PlayStation siding a little bit more favorably with how they interact with me. So it's cool to see that both ways. And I want—I want to get Chris out there. I got to start getting Chris on them streets. He's got to—he's got to get out there. This man has not been a, a guest on Pimping any podcast yet. I have I not been a guest on any podcast yet. I'm waiting. Yeah. One day it'll happen. It'll happen. Some organic growth of the podcast. Hey Chris, don't worry. You don't got to be a prostitute. No, 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 no. <laughs> Well, listen, it's okay. I'm Julia Roberts. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, next up, Lukey Luke. <clears throat> he says, to be honest, I like how you both talk about the that you play games from all different eras, that you don't just talk about the newest games out, but all games, which is wicked. I also play older games, so I like hearing your views, etc. And the food combos get me laughing. Thanks, lads. Luke. Clearly, we talked about a bunch of old PS3 games at the very start of the show. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fun. I'm glad we can do that for you. Chris has uh, definitely been just pounding down some of those PS3 games when he sees it fit. Uh, so it's fun. You know, um, Chris, I think you, you can probably see it. One of the things I like about smaller podcasts is that feeling that they're a little less connected. They're a little more disconnected than some of the bigger podcasts, these small ones from feeling like they have to be on the edge of what is timely. You yeah. know, like I feel like some shows feel like they have to talk only about the new things because that's what's going on in the news and that's what's going to drive clicks. And we clearly use some of that, but it's nice to be able to have a show where we spent 20 minutes talking about Battlefield, Bad Company 2, Resistance <laughs> 2, MAG. Well, and I think that's one of those things is, I don't know, I think maybe this is a hot take, but like we're less of a news show than we are just a conversational gaming podcast. Yeah, you know, sure. like we talk about the news, but there's also, we just talk about games most of the time. And I think that's a cool thing where, you know, I can look at you and I can say to the audience, like, I'm not putting Activision shit in this podcast anymore. I'm like, I'm not doing it. And nobody's been like, well, you're not talking about, you didn't hear about this minute detail in the Activision thing or this this tweet that Lulu Chen set out. And I'm like, no, I saw all that shit, but I ain't got nothing to say about it and I don't want to talk about it. You know, and I like that we have the freedom to do that because I think, like I said, I think the show is less about news. It's more about like, hey, we'll talk about the news and talk about our thoughts on it. But like, it's me and you talking about video games and seeing where that takes us. And if that means we talk about Julienning an Xbox 360 controller and cooking the the buttons, like that's totally fine. Um, and I just think that's what makes us different and fun. That's why I like it. You know, I don't need two sacred symbols in my life. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that's uh, that's the funny thing of, 
when people talk to me, they'll be like, well, did you listen to Colin say this? And I know you're different and maybe you don't feel this way, but I go out of my way to only listen to Colin when he brings someone on that I think they're not talking about that. Like, right, when he brought in like the Philip Mewson or whatever, the Mm -hmm. guy who was the IGN, that was super interesting. I listen to those. Because yeah. I find those interesting. I think Colin is really good at being an, uh, an interviewer. And there's a lot to learn from listening to him. But not to learn to be him. It's just you can get a lot of really interesting insight. I think he has good insight for being in the industry in a more actual, deep way than what we have. But we have a different insight from being totally fans. Like, you know, we don't really have that extra layer that we have to think about. And I think that helps freeze us up to not get so lost in some of that. And not that Colin gets lost in it, but I choose not to listen because I just don't want any of my opinions to be fueled by something that someone else said. It's basically how it is. Yeah. Um, and I but think, I can still respect what he does. No. And for me, it's like I listen because I can't go five minutes without something playing. So, like, I have to listen to podcasts or books. So, like, I'll listen to his show and it's a lot of. Like I take what he says, and there's been multiple times on this podcast where I'll just straight up be like, "Yeah, they were talking about this on Sacred Symbols, and I agree with them." Sure. And sure. Um, but I think it's a blessing for us that we record on Wednesdays, and their show for that week comes out on Friday, so I can listen to their show having already recorded that week of you know stuff. So it it works for me anyway. Yeah, fair point. Part of it is I just have enough going on that. I don't really, I don't listen to podcasts <laughs> and that's yeah. been a weird thing because I do one now and I used to, Yeah, but uh, I hardly do now. I really, well, you, I, I tend to find little informative, like 30 minute, learn some stuff on YouTube mm-hmm. videos to be far more fascinating. And yeah. also I watch podcasts if I do, oh, so, <laughs> like if I listen to one, I watch it. Yeah. I don't ever do that. I don't, yeah, no. Um, but I mean, but I also just don't listen to music at all. So that's part of it. Like I just don't listen to music. <laughs> so that's I listen to music I, a lot because I can just put it on and it help, music helps me focus because it's like a constant and I normally already know it. So mm-hmm. I like being able to be like, oh yeah, this is tiny moving parts applause. And I know the words and it's like a, something familiar for me to reference, but it helps me focus as I'm diverting 75% of my attention towards this thing and 25% to that to kind of share that and make sure I'm staying focused. Whereas if I don't turn the music on, the other things I start hearing pull my attention away to where like I'm only giving this like 30 or 50% of my attention because I'm being distracted. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. Yeah, technically I'm giving a certain percentage of my uh, attention to music, but it's helping me give a more consistently high amount of my attention to whatever else I'm working on that's more detail-oriented. You know, it it depends. Like, I can definitely imagine throwing on a podcast and playing a game that just has, like, a a loop that you don't have to overly think about. You're just playing the game. Yeah. Like, you seem to do that quite a bit. Oh, yeah. MLB seems like the perfect game for that. It's great. Like, MLB, I did, um, like, collectible hunting in Arkham Asylum. I was watching Supernatural, you know, stuff like that. Sure. I don't. The only time I listen to music is when I'm working, and that's why my staff hates me because if I'm in the middle of an event, I'm throwing on the heaviest shit I can find, and that's what we're <laughs> listening to. And it's like, a, it's my fucking speaker. I'll play whatever the fuck I want, and b, like that that kind of metal like really helps me cook because it's busier than me. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. I think I get that. Yeah, I think I get that. I also, when I really want to hyper focus, I tend to listen to just. Filthy heavy stuff. I mean, guttural, so much going on. And it's like, 
I don't know. I guess it. My wife and I'm not. I'm not throwing this out there for the thing of like me saying it. I don't know if I'm ADHD. I feel like a lot of people have come out and started saying that. I have no idea, but my wife seems to think I am because mm-hmm. I have a fairly chaotic brain. I don't necessarily <laughs> throw that towards ADHD, um, but I do <clears throat> find weird ways to focus on certain things. So if I am ADHD, I'm very functionally ADHD. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I don't my, particularly care enough to be diagnosed. Yeah. See, yeah, it's funny. Like it's not impacting like, me that bad. Because there is that that trend now of people like kind of self-diagnosing with ADHD or whatever it is. And Sadie, I was I would always like make jokes like, oh, yeah, like I'm I have this obsession because of my ADHD fight focus on it. She I don't think she ever believed me. And then we went to a uh, Bruins game yesterday and I, I hate driving. I'm a passenger princess. So <laughs> she, she 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 drove and she, that was the first time she was like. Oh no, you're fucking nuts! Because I was, um, I was reading One Piece, and on the the radio we were listening to a book, and she's like, "Do you even know what's happening?" And then I'm like, "Yeah, this, this, and this happened in, in that book, and in this book he's fighting this character." And she's like, "Holy shit, you're fucking insane!" And then like at home, like I'll have my TV here playing a game. I'll be playing One Piece or watching a Netflix show, and then on my phone, like there's a game of Marvel Snap going, and I can do all three, almost perf- almost f- f- flawlessly, all at the same time, and so it really helps me. But then I also have the really shitty stuff where like I can't focus on anything at all, so I'll write a third of a book that I'm really excited about and just forget it exists. <laughs> yeah. See, my problem, and I think I'm hearing a little bit of that from you. As if I am, and it sounds like maybe I am, because I am also very good at having multiple things going on and keeping up with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't tend to give into that. I tend to try and give into my my tendency to hyper focus, like we've talked about with how I am with games. It's like if I'm into anything, I just try to hyper focus on it so that I don't get out. I'll find some weird way to stay hyper focused on it, be it music or cluing in on one particular thing but that tends to be what it is is i hyper focus on something after i kind of quickly scramble through a bunch of options and then i'll be like no this and then i'm just like this is what i'm doing now and don't break and i don't know if that's a completely different thing or if that's like a potential side effect of something like that are you uh are you medicated or you know are are you also undiagnosed and you just think you might be ADHD? no i was i was diagnosed but i wasn't able to keep proper track of the medicine. And that's all we're going to say about that publicly. And then um, I was not dealing it for the record. I was not selling my Adderall. <laughs> to clarify, I understand how that sounded when that I said it. That did sound a lot like that. No, it would just go missing. And that's all we need to talk about. Um, so I stopped oh, getting okay. it. Oh, okay. I got yeah. you. I, I, got, I, I get where you're I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of sound like that guy that's like, "Oh, I tweaked my back and they gave me hydros." And uh, yeah, you know, I didn't use them. (laughs) (laughs) Someone did, Um, but no, it did. The Adderall really did help, but you know, right? It's one of those things where I don't need to be hyper focused. In my my job, it helps me to be mentally ill, I guess. So because I can focus on fifty different things, and I have an impeccable sense of timing and stuff like that. So. There you go, man. 
I'm a consumer. See? I always need to be consuming <laughs> as much as possible. That's what happens to me. Gotcha. Sweet Gran Turismo Jones, long-time friend, long-time listener of the show. He says, Gran Turismo brought me to y'all, namely Brett. I don't know of another podcast with racing fans on it. Oh, I really like the tournament Brett and Saul had where y'all used my GT setups to battle. Um, so I think we've talked about this to you, Chris, but in case anyone is newer, uh, years back, one of our uh, one of our listeners at the time, uh, Radio Race is what he went by, Richard, uh, he had decided that he wanted us to do a competition or that really what he decided is that he had an item he wanted us to compete over to get. And so we set up a three game setup where one of them was a fighting game. One of them was a shooter game and one of them was a racing game. And, um, we competed and whoever won, you know, two out of three of those events won the PS Vita and it was a Japanese sparkly blue PS Vita. And, uh, it's, mine now because Saul eventually gave it to me, but Saul's actually the one that won it. <laughs> um, it really surprised. It was fun. We came out, we had my friend from uh, out of town crash. If you're listening, hope you're doing well, buddy. Uh, anyway, he came in from out of town and acted as our announcer. We did little like wrestling entrances in my little game room and came in and busted in. It was really good fun. Um, but yeah, uh, I noticed that too. Whenever I listen to definitely more core gaming podcasts, uh, Chris, I wonder if you feel this way because I don't really hear a lot of core gaming co- podcasts talk about sports games either. It's like those tend to exist on the outliers and s- racing is more or less a sport game, realistically. But I don't really hear a lot of podcasts talk about racing games. And if I do, it's usually very arcadey racing games. Um, so I can I can get where he's coming from with that. Gran Turismo is not something I've heard be talked about on podcast outside of, well, it is one of PlayStation's oldest IPs. It's like it gets talked about like it's a token thing for, for PlayStation. Like, mm-hmm. well, they have a racing game and they have an yeah. IP. So it's like it gets talked about in its value as a pawn towards the console war, I feel like. But few people talk about it as the value of what the game itself is. Uh, do you feel that way about sports sometimes? Like MLB? Um, I mean, definitely. I see that. Like with with MLB reviews, I hate reading them because it's always like it always feels like it's a guy who's play who doesn't understand like what we're looking for as the core audience buying MLB the show. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, the game hasn't changed enough. Sick. I don't want you to change it. What the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Like, I've never understood, like, you. I don't like seeing reviews. Like, MLB The Show is sitting at a 79. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's a perfect MLB game. does exactly what I want. It's got cool-ass features. Like, the Negro League stuff is awesome. It's like, what are you looking for? And it's like, oh, well, the graphics haven't evolved, and the the gameplay is the same as it's always been. I'm like, really? you telling me baseball that's exists for 120 fucking years hasn't changed? <laughs> are you really telling me that they didn't make it so that pitching is different they don't hit with metal bats now it's like fuck off that's why like i'm glad it's not covered as much but i wish it was covered more intelligently if they were going to cover it and i'm sure they have that in racing games where it's like Oh, you know, the, the talking about Gran Turismo, and you get someone who's not a Gran Turismo super fan. He's like, I mean, it's not that great. Not that great. Doesn't you know the turns aren't very good. It's like, yeah, well, you're driving with a fucking '94 Civic. I don't know how you expected the turns to be good. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, it that, is, dude, that is so fucking spot on. And hey, I like the '94 Civic, but yeah, people don't realize. My brother, even one of them, my brother's a car nut, but mm-hmm. even him, because he's a little more disconnected from gaming, when he came in and was actually going through and racing different cars, he's like, "Oh shit, it's kind of crazy how how different each one of these cars control." And I'm like, "Yeah, this isn't like I love Need for Speed, and Need for Speed has actually done a lot." And so as far as uh, to improve on trying to make like a muscle car feel different from a tuner. But at the end of the day, none of them do it in the way that the sim games do it. And that's a huge difference. You do get someone who goes on, this car feels like shit. Yeah, bro. It's a fucking stock out of the fucking factory. 95 Fox body Mustang. What do you think's going <laughs> right. to, what do you think's going to happen? It wouldn't be a 95, but regardless <clears throat> point being is, yeah, people will throw that out there and it's like, yeah, cars are different. And whenever you're actually into that, that excites you. It's exciting to be like, shit, I got to figure out what car I perform best with on this track for this mm-hmm. track strengths and weaknesses. And how does that play into this car's strengths and weaknesses? And how can I up, the power output or down the power output to get a certain car that I feel comfortable driving into an event where it has to have a certain PP ranking. And <laughs> I think all of that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't have too big of PP. Uh, but I think all of that plays into what people love about that because <laughs> <laughs> you're trying so hard to not, I was, I really not was. get caught. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that plays into what people love about that. And uh, definitely, this is what I was talking about with people using it more as, and not everyone, I'm not going to act like every review is that, but people using it as tokens towards like, well, this is, this looks beautiful or this does this thing. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, you're talking about the game in a different light than the people who are mega fans of that type of game. Like, yeah, I am a mega fan of, of, uh, Gran Turismo, and, and I'll go as far as to say Gran Turismo Sport, I didn't play nearly as much as the other ones because I didn't really love it. There were aspects I liked, and then there was a lot of things I missed. Um, but, you know, you're talking about people talking about the game and, and how they're disconnected from what it is, and I think that that's the problem is I never really heard anyone talk about MLB, and that actually includes us, so we're guilty of the same thing to some degree uh, before you came in, where we only talked about it once it became a pawn piece of talking about the consoles and how suddenly Xbox is getting MLB the show and PC is getting MLB the show, I suppose. I don't actually know if that's true. I think Nintendo is probably never come to PC. It's on Switch. It it finally came to Switch. That's what I thought. Yeah, I had it. I had it on Switch. All that being said is it, no one really talked about it in the podcast space until it became something that was like, well, now that, now that we're talking about that, it's like most big podcasts or bigger podcasts tend to be there because of people who are very core gamers. And I don't think that they're necessarily – this is going to be a weird thing to say because I don't think it's completely true. But I think looking at the people who tend to be wanting to listen to podcasts – uh, in a way where they're going to actively push to hear this type of content, that's not the people who are going to normally actively seek out podcasts and stay with one. No, You'll get people like Ryan who seek out a podcast and find something they like and then stick with it because it does that. But they're not going to go out of their way to be like, hey, I would love if you guys talked more about racing or sports games because at the end of the day, if you're not talking about it naturally – do you really want to hear someone talk about something that they don't have an actual passion for? I think Dan well, yeah. is obviously no. No, because it's like – would I love it if Sacred Symbols talked about MLB? Sure. But then I got to hear a bunch of people who don't play the game talk about MLB for 20 minutes. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> it's just that's the problem with reviews of MLB. It's like the problems I have 
are never talked about in a review. Like, this is very, if you listen to MLB, come here. Like, listen now. Because it, the stuff that the problem was the game is stuff like Rafael Devers, the best left-handed hitter in the game, not being a diamond card, right? And that means absolutely nothing to you, right? And that means probably absolutely nothing to anyone listening to or writing a review for it. IGN Review, I guarantee, I didn't read it because I could not give a shit less about reviews for MLB because of <laughs> yeah. everything I'm talking about. But I'm positive they're not in there talking about the minutia of the players, which that's the problem if there's a problem, right? You look at the, the last year's Cy Young winner, Cy Young meaning best in the game, and he's an 85-ranked player. That doesn't make any sense. Like Jacob deGrom, who was hurt all of last year, is a 95. What the fuck are you talking about? He didn't even play. You know, like those are the issues that I'm looking for in my MLB coverage. And I don't get that from the main, the mainstream, the lamestream media with their fake news reviews. Like it's, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't cater to me because it's not, it's not actually talking about the game that I'm playing. It's talking about, it's talking about it from a core gamer's perspective. If a core gamer never watched baseball, that's how it, they all feel to me. And then yeah, our people who are tertiary, like it's a tertiary thing. Like maybe they, they watch a little bit of baseball, but it's not a big deal for them. Cause I'd say like, that's how I feel about soccer. Like I mm-hmm. don't keep up with soccer in the way that you keep up with baseball. I enjoy soccer and I enjoy watching it whenever I do watch it. And I enjoy playing it uh, every now and then. And I enjoy playing FIFA. And you know, you talked about, uh, yeah, great. The game hasn't changed. I'll tell you for me, FIFA, the reason I never really bought another one is because I don't keep up with it. I don't care about the roster. So I'll play the same FIFA for three years because finally that third game, that third year, right, three years on, they'll actually introduce some kind of big new thing that really adds a new layer of of depth to how you play the game. And for FIFA, right, I got into FIFA with FIFA 08 for $1.99 at GameStop, <laughs> and it was awesome. And when I finally played FIFA 11, I was like, holy shit, <laughs> Like this is insane. This is a big jump. Um and so I kind of kept that thing. Like I, the next, the next FIFA I played outside of the Vita titles, which also amazing. I love that to the, those to death. Uh, but the next console entry I played was FIFA 14, mm-hmm. and then I didn't play again until FIFA 17. And then right. I played last year with FIFA 21, which was a broken fucking mess. And I am mad about problems with that game. That game got high reviews, and you can't even fucking do the campaign because it doesn't track your wins, your victories, your shots on goal, anything that's the thing it's like i don't even love sports that's not my big thing like you know that Mm -hmm. kind of sport at least like i do like soccer and i appreciate it but i care i'm like yeah why would you give a game a 85 or 9 out of 10 whatever it is they gave fifa and i know why it's because it's a big staple name but the point being is that fifa 21 is an objectively or 22 i guess is what it was regardless it's an objectively broken game i can't even get the trophies I want if I wanted to. And it's not just that I want, I enjoy playing FIFA games and opening a season, starting and playing and seeing my guy and my team progress. That's the whole point Mm -hmm. of me enjoying them. Or the other flip side is playing with other people. That's one of the things I love most about FIFA sitting down with a friend and smacking out some FIFA and being able to talk shit about each other while you're doing it. It's fun. Here, The last thing I will say, and this will, if anyone in this audience plays competitive MLB like I do, you'll understand what I'm saying. If you want me to take your 
MLB review seriously. The only person should be reviewing it is someone who play who hits with PCI and does not hit with timing. If you tell me you play with PCI, then I then I know you know how to play the game. That's it. There you go, man. I do think that there's a really interesting sub conversation to have one of these days, and I think we've had a little bit before about the importance of having people review where it's people who are coming into a game with true good faith about what the game is. And mm-hmm. there really is a point where there is no value realistically and having someone who doesn't like third person asymmetric RPGs giving a review for Diablo four. There's just no value in that because they don't have any context to what came before. They don't have any context for what people want in the long term from playing that. They don't have their own wants and wishes from playing four hundred hours of Diablo three. Like that matters. Mm-hmm. If you know, I will take your Diablo Four review so much more seriously if you tell me that you've played Untold Legends, <laughs> <laughs> Brotherhood of the Blade, and you've played Untold Legends. Uh, I can't even remember the, the sub name of the game, but the PS3 version that was awesome, fucking so good. Um, if you've played that and you've played all these other offshoot, random, hey, we're gonna make a Diablo-like style dungeon crawler. I will respect your opinion so much more because you've seen the multiple sides of it. You've seen the good, mm-hmm. the bad. You know what staples and what makes sense and why it's there because of the love and the longstanding thing. Like, yeah, it's real easy to pick that game up and go, I've played like three of these games and there's always spiders at the very beginning. It's stupid. I want to see better enemy variation. It's kind of a staple and an understood that in that type of game, you're going to be fighting spiders early mm-hmm. on. It's just like a, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's not a complaint. I expect that. I actually want that. Like, I want yeah. to fight the spiders. That's part of those types of games that I like, and that gear crawl is fun. So We just got to be, just because someone plays games doesn't mean they're capable of reviewing everything. I don't like survival games, so I would probably give mm. Sons of the Forest, like, a four. But you'd yeah. be like, "This is I love survival games. This is a 10. Like, it's that's just yeah. where it is. And my favorite thing is that that's where op-eds come into play. Like, there is 100% value for certain people in hearing an outsider's point of view on a certain type of game. Hearing someone who doesn't like, this is actually a perfect example, someone who thought they didn't like survival games going real deep into them and finding out that apparently I love those type of games is important because I do get to bring a lot of insight that comes from not being you know, entrenched in that type of thing. So I think it's important to give people the platforms and the opportunities to talk about it and interact with people, be it through podcasts or just on Twitter and social media. But across the board, it's just at the end of the day, it's nice to hear other opinions, but I wouldn't give that a review. Like I wouldn't say, hey, this is my review. I'd say, hey, these are the thoughts from someone who doesn't have experience with this type of game. This is what I found compelling and good. And this may not matter for you, but maybe it will. <laughs> Facts. Gateway games, man. Gateway <laughs> games. I'm almost positive that realistically you could probably get me to fall in love with MLB. But it would but it would not be based off of the again, it wouldn't be based off of the actual rosters and baseball part of it. It'd be based on these if I ever actually got super into the minutia details of how those games work and the odd mechanics that you can play around with, I'd fall in love. Because one of my favorite things about FIFA is running around and how they've continued to improve your ability to dribble the ball and how to interact with the ball to fuck up and fuck around your other like people that you're playing against. It's fun. So yeah, we'll see. Sadly, uh, you have to buy a movie yourself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Iris Joe 13 says, I used to listen all the time, listened to the movie podcast you were a part of too. One of my faves from that was They Live. <laughs> yes. Good That's when I used to drive for a living. Now I can't listen as much anymore for this one. I can't say a specific moment, but all have been great. Keep it up. Hey, man, I get it. Changing of careers can really change the way that you interact with certain types of media. So I'm glad you still listen when you have time. And I remember you talking about your gaming slump. I hope that you've also been able to break out of that. Um, but changes and stuff like that, that stress can really change the way you do stuff. Um, so, yeah, hope you're doing well. Thanks for writing in. Jehudi MD has been listening for so, so long, been a patron for very long as well. Uh, he says there's no particular moment. But I always like the banter when discussing what you've played the week prior. Being a PlayStation-focused podcast helps a lot, too. So there you go, Chris. Another point in your conversational podcast cap. Another feather. Look at me. This is the greatest show. (laughs) The the greatest showman. Hugh Jackman just busting your house. Gonna be in the greatest showman two and Deadpool three. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Robert Phillips, and we're right towards the end of these. Robert Phillips says, "To be honest, I will always appreciate you noticing my tweets and reading some of them on the podcast. But I enjoy the throwback games you talk about or mention. And look at that! One more person talking about all the old games we talk about and play. That's awesome. Buy a PS3. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that library. If you didn't." You have so many games you need to play. Not, most of them did not get remastered, unfortunately. No. The best <laughs> there ones did no not. no way to play them other than by going back and playing them. Darkness 2 remastered right now. Do it, Sega. Bro, I would be all over that. That game is so fun. It's, it's, sell- it is Gearbox the perfect gamer the game. It is, 100%. It, it, it's like it's got a great story, but it's also it's got great gameplay, great level design, and it's mission based. And you just go yeah. through and you do your stuff. Bam! It's a and great there's a time. wonderful movie embedded in it. So <laughs> that's true. Also, the <laughs> first one has that feature. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that brings us to the final. Or actually, we have two. I'll go ahead and throw out the the one from our patron real quick, Mister Hammond Egger been a, a patron for quite a while now he says congratulations on 300 this is the equivalent of getting a platinum in podcasting yay so there you go chris one more platinum for you platinum number 112 triangle squared the podcast <laughs> number four for the year it's about <laughs> 10 million true trophy points because we're the only two that have it bam there you go we just won the competition Wait. Chris, chris suddenly came in hot <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that mean, though, that you are the only one who has it? Because I haven't been on 300 episodes. Technically, neither of you. But I've been on 298. It took me like 250 episodes to ever actually miss one. Yeah. But, you know, just throwing that out there. Got to gotta throw a little shade. So I'm the only one in Triangle Squared history who's done a solo episode. So. <laughs> that is true. You were You were like a cam girl for a little bit there. Yeah, that was one episode's worth. You were just whatever the people wanted. Yeah, you know, I I applaud I applaud you for trying that. I'm gonna be honest with you. I would never. It was fun. Not a podcast. It would have been like, I'm not, yeah, I'm I'm glad that you had a good time. But that would be like at that point, I'd be like, well, I'm gonna make a focused video. We're gonna do research. We're gonna go all in. <laughs> the <laughs> the value of the podcast is the conversational aspect. If you have no one to bounce off of, just a, it's a different show, different thing. Ironically, I think we did that as a 0.5 episode. 
<laughs> because it was like not a full. I don't, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. It's been a it long was. time since we've done a 0.5 episode other than that, though. Uh, so we come to our last one. Josh Drago, also been with the show a long time. He says, in celebration, eat a bowel of <laughs> turkey spaghetti. <laughs> I don't plan on eating a bowel of turkey spaghetti, but maybe I a bowl. I, I chose not to fix this typo because it's too funny. So I have to imagine what's going on here. Is this like somebody else ate turkey spaghetti and you're eating their bowels after it's gone through and processed? <laughs> I think so. Or are you eating it while the turkey <laughs> spaghetti's in their bowels? Yeah, I was thinking is they freshly eat a bowl, a couple bowls of turkey spaghetti, and you just cut Wait their a few head hours off. and it just drops. Yeah. Well, it's in the bowels. We're not talking about the you know we're we're not talking about the upper. We're talking about the lower intestine, man. Yikes. That's gross. <laughs> Chris, man, you're a cook. You gotta remember you gotta braise the you got this, man. You can make this work. Just I'm because I you. can cook it doesn't mean I should. Mm. Yeah, your scientists were too uh caught up in whether they could. I never thought to think <laughs> about whether they should. Exactly. All right, Chris. So that brings us to the first question of the episode. Like Let's just make sense to, to put right here. Finds a way. Rude Days 93, one of our patrons, he says, so, knock on wood, it's laminate, but close enough, there's particle board in there, uh, sawdust, glue, if that's not wood, fuck. <laughs> uh, he says, in about two years, you guys will be at 400. So, mm-hmm. give us a bold prediction you can envision happening within that two-year window in the gaming industry. Chris, I defer to you to start this off. This feels like a really prediction. Ooh. Um, Okay, here's my bold prediction. There will be less than a third of third of the third party publishers right now in two years. You know, that's actually not far from the one that first came to my mind, is that M&A will continue to happen. I guess what I should say, I've come around to your your view of thinking that if Activision does go, and I know we said we weren't going to talk about it, but for the sake of this particular question, if Activision does go through, and it seemingly is looking like it will, and I never really hugely doubted that, if it goes through, I can see a view where it is the opening of the floodgates and it creates open doors for Sony and other people to come in and buy. Now, to add on to yours, my bold prediction is that it's not going to be Microsoft or Sony, maybe even not Tencent, that have those. I really think Google and Apple are going to have a... I think they've been waiting Mm-hmm. And I think they're looking at this Activision to see how big they can go when they decide to finally pull something in. There's no bigger. So, <laughs> man, my my bold prediction for this, and and the only reason I'm a little iffy on it, right, is because I Apple has an image that they try to upkeep to a degree, and this studio is known for really great artistic quality stuff are this this publisher but i could see how it may not necessarily jive with their overall brand if they care that much i think that apple might buy take two 
Oof. See, I would go a different way with that, but that's just me. But that's also if Take-Two is willing to be bought out because Take-Two is such a massive company and has massive, some of the biggest games on the market. But you could say the same about Activision. Call of Duty is the most consistently big game on the market every Mm -hmm. year and not just, you know, the 10th or 12th year of Grand Theft Auto (laughs) Five. Dude, (laughs) I'd be willing to add to my bold prediction and say that less than a third of the third-party publishers active right now will exist, and the total acquisition cost will be less than Activision. Mm, I'd be real curious about that one. I would. Be I've wondered to if bet. there's anyone else that's in the same ballpark as them, and I don't think so. I've been really even. Even a Take Two, I feel like would end up in like a twenty to twenty-five billion range. You know? Yeah, I think Microsoft could have bought EA. Take two and Ubisoft for less than Activision. Yeah. Now, whether or not that would have went through, it I'm have. curious. <laughs> but that's just because it's like, okay, you're buying too much. We got to do them one at a time. I don't know. You know, we talked the other day um, about how it was. It wasn't on the podcast. It was in the Discord. And one of the things I like about the Discord is that you can have quick iterative conversation. And I was talking about some of my feelings about the acquisitions and and some of the things that are being said. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I've relented to the fact that I don't have a super strong understanding of what it takes for something at this scale to go through. Right? Does the U.S. have to approve it? My thought is probably no, and I think that's correct. But if enough people deny it, does it just not happen? Is this countries throwing caution to the wind and being like, well, we're going to, we're going to make our own decisions. Or is it the companies trying to go together and be like, Hey, on a worldwide scale, can we come to a overwhelming consensus? And even if a few people disagree, we just go ahead and let it happen. That's all over my head because I just have never followed acquisitions to that degree. Um, and I don't really know why it would matter, but I've learned some since then, partially because of things that uh, Rude Days, who asked this question, has posted and talked about. And I've read a little into it. So there's plenty more for me to learn, but I think it's interesting. Um, so let's see. Your bold prediction is a third of them will exist or not exist. Microsoft, anymore. Sony, Tencent, Google, and Apple will swallow up two-thirds of the industry by the time we talk at episode 400. Okay. Okay. Oh, interesting. That was kind of going towards mine, so I want to make a different prediction if I can. Let's see. Hmm. Bold prediction. I don't know if people will consider this bold, but maybe... I think in two years, Sony will still not be putting games day and date from their in-house services that are big AAA games on their streaming, on their um, subscription service. I don't know if that's really bold. I personally feel like Sony has clearly said that they just don't want to do that, and there's no reason for them to do that because so far, nothing has pushed them to do so. Uh, but I've seen a lot of people talking about Game Pass is slowly but surely pushing Sony toward this, and in a few years, Sony will be like people are saying Sony's testing the waters with these like Meet Your Maker and uh, Stray Day One and Chia Day One, and they're looking at what's happening in a third party um, or you know independent <clears throat> section of getting 
things. And then they'll use that to get data to how to do it with their first party. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's kind of where I'm currently standing. Would you consider that bold or not, Chris? Not really. Yeah, I didn't think so. Well, let me let me clarify. To be this. fair, I don't really know if it's bold to say that a lot of M and A is going to happen because clearly, I thought clearly saying the vast majority of the industry was going to be taken up was it. But my question, I guess, for you is. Does that mean you're saying they're not going to put every game day and date no matter what, right? Case by case basis thing still? Yeah. Because I, I think I Factions think, is think, going to be day one. Yeah, and I'm talking AAA normal game, not like a game as a service, nothing like that. I could see Factions being day and date PS Plus. So you're saying like Maybe Corey Barlog's new IP will not be on yeah. PS Plus day one, I heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, you know, really, my backing for that is I don't see I don't see Nintendo relenting, and I think so long as Sony always has someone who's simpatico with them, and Nintendo don't seem to want to push from that at all. They're even joining them in that seventy dollars game sphere. I think that Sony won't feel like a lone wolf in the industry. So since they've got another Japanese, you know, publisher and, and massive console manufacturer doing the same thing, they will feel that there's no need to give in to the external pressure of maybe other developers and publishers starting to release their games day and date on some kind of subscription service like we're seeing with Ubisoft and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I yeah, I don't People don't talk possible. about Nintendo enough in this conversation. It's always about what Sony's going to do because of Microsoft. But what about what Sony's going to not do because Nintendo's also not doing it? That's important. And it's, it does matter because Nintendo is proof. Nintendo is what Sony can look at and go, we don't have to become fully that. But clearly Nintendo has continued to survive in their own way by just doing what they do. And Sony's trying to have their cake and eat it too. And if they can really find that balance while Microsoft's going full, you know, full ham into the subscription service, I think Sony can be like, we do have a subscription service. We do offer something that tries to be competitive in that realm, but we still get to be what we've always been. And we get to be the Sony that you remember that has more history than Microsoft and not quite as much history as Nintendo, but clearly Nintendo has been using that history to stay in business and ample, ample ways to do so, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I'm fascinated to see, but I, I think I'm with you. I don't think they'll ever put everything day and date unless they do have a specific, oh, you thought premium was high price? Here's our $200 a year day and date bundle. See, that's my thing about Which premium. That doesn't is even I could, sounds good enough. Do you think, and I, and I could see why they wouldn't, and I could see why they would. Do you think that they would do something like factions day and date only on premium? You ever you, you think that that would be something they do, or do you think that would be too hurtful for the rest of the player base that you could have day and date? And no, of course, but I'm I assuming there'll be some microtransaction driven. If stuff. If I had to guess at what it would be, it would be something more like you have PlayStation Plus Premium, so you get the Founders Edition for free, but everyone else has to pay thirty dollars for the Founders Edition kind of thing. That's the most I could see. Mm, I could see that. Or at least I could see, and I could see this happening with any PS Plus uh, extra or premium subscriber doing like what Halo did with uh, Infinite, being like, hey, if you have Game Pass, we'll give you drops to where if you're playing through Game Pass, you get XP boost or certain armor or something weird that is exclusive for PS Plus members as an added thank you. Right. 
Exactly. Thank you for being Basically, a subscriber hey, and playing our you're game. Being a, you're a patron. <laughs> We're giving you extra content as a patron. So, Exactly. Yeah. Enjoy your timestamps. <laughs> right, well, let's flip that question a little bit and go, he says, to add to this, what, in your opinion, has been the most shocking gaming-related news story that has happened since the podcast has started? So, Chris, it's a little different for you because you... You can't really go back to 2017. You can, I mean, if you want, but you can limit yours to just since you've been on the podcast, if you'd like. It's up to you. I mean, I feel like the answer's got to be kind of obvious, right? It's Activision and Xbox. (laughs) Yeah, but because it's not done, I think whenever I read this and was putting it into the document earlier, I landed on Bethesda. Because the reality is that Bethesda is the starting point for this all. When they True. announced Activision, it didn't feel as out of nowhere and off the wall, like what the hell as Xbox being like, hey, we're buying Bethesda. And I think that's because at that point, that felt like untouchable. It felt like something you'd never guess in a million yeah. years. And since they bought them, now all hats are off and everyone's like, well, Sony might buy Square Enix. So even though I don't know if that'll ever actually happen, we've talked about it. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. You can see benefits for both. But at this point, if Sony goes, hey, we're buying Square, that will never in a million years. Even if Sony said they were buying, I don't know, if they were buying any game company, if they were, if Sony were buying any game company or anything that's short of like, hey, Sony's buying Apple, which I don't even know how that would happen. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, it would. <laughs> then, then I could see being surprised. But otherwise, if they if they say they're buying Take Two, or if they're buying Ubisoft, or if they're buying Square, or if Microsoft buys EA, or whatever it be, basically, Bethesda popped that cherry. It won't be surprising anymore. It's like that's gone to that level, right? Like I remember when I woke up and I saw Activision, I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a pretty considerable jump from Bethesda." But I can I now exist in a world where this feels like something I could expect. Is that about where it kind of landed for you? Yeah, you're. I guess you're right. For me, the Activision thing was a money. Like, holy shit, they just spent sixty nine billion dollars on this. Um. Bethesda was definitely like a, oh shit, you know it was. I I don't know if I was more surprised or I was more like, well now I can't get Fallout Five's platinum. You know, I think that was where sure. my frustration, my frustration in quotes was. Um, well, I think that's also part of it, right? Because it had that. That's why I think it was even more like it felt like a shocking because it, it came with this thing of like so what does that mean for elder scrolls 6 and what does that mean for and, and you gotta think because from the moment that they announced it to the moment that it closed we didn't really get answers we got well we can't talk we can't promise we're not going to do anything and then that short period where after the the deal closed and they were kind of keeping tight-lipped about everything before they eventually came out and were like hey here's redfall and this is exclusive and you know, when you were in that period of Microsoft being like, hey, we're honoring Deathloop and we're honoring Ghostwire's exclusivity contracts and, um, you know, we're not trying to take games away from anything. When they finally got to that point where it was like, oh, there's definitely going to be exclusives, you had to exist in that nine-month window before it closed or whatever. It was like, what does this mean for the future of me playing Bethesda games? Exactly. 
And I think now, because we've seen what they did with Bethesda, we have an idea for how Activision's going to go. Yeah, no matter what they say, we're pretty positive that we can tell. But, again, maybe the biggest shock of the next two years is that Game Pass is on PlayStation and we're all living happily ever after playing Gears of War on our PlayStation 5. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, You know, my big question for that is, would people think of that as a loss? Or would it just be a, like a net neutral or like, you know, a net positive for people that want to play those games, but only have enough money for one console. Like my curiosity is, will the pride of people who are on Sony's side be like, Sony should have never let Xbox onto their system. Or would it be like, aha, Xbox had to go on a PlayStation to get that player base. And then the flip side, will the Xbox people be excited or would they be like, now we're on you know, it's a curiosity for me generally is what are the most vocal proponents in one way or the other going to say if that does become a reality? It The problem is it'll the most vocal will find a win in anything. It'll be, wow, Sony was desperate for Bethesda games, so they finally let Xbox put Game Pass on PlayStation. Or LOL, every time you play Starfield, you're putting Xbox money in your pocket. And I'm just over here saying, oh, cool. Yay! <laughs> That's you yeah. know. So it's the nar- the narrative will be the narrative no matter what. You know, I kind of wish that the Bethesda thing and the Activision thing hadn't happened because I do. I'm trying to think like right. If I go back and I think about since the podcast started, and I think about what has been the most shocking gaming related news short of that, I think it might actually be crossplay. Like I'm really trying mm-hmm. to think about things that I feel like we're like, wow, we're finally to that point. And crossplay had a lot of ramifications, had a lot of things that came with it that needed to be figured out. Sony's initial, you know, reluctance to join. And then even finding out all the stuff around how they went about joining by saying that you had to profit share to a certain degree if we, you know, lost a certain amount of revenue because of people playing elsewhere. I think that was pretty tectonic prior to that it's just what that does for playability what that does for the future of gaming as a whole it's a positive and it comes with so many weird questions from a business perspective that i think that was pretty shocking yeah i don't know i'll always lament m&a but at a certain point i do love i do love the drama (laughs) i'm always here for the drama even if it's overall a negative for the industry yeah, drama is never. You say it's never a positive, but you know, there's always that Marilyn Manson version of uh, <laughs> of publicity. All publicity is good publicity, baby. Yeah. And the reality is, I wonder how many more people are actually getting into gaming because of weird stuff like this blowing up way out of proportion, and people being like, "What's this gaming thing about?" <laughs> <laughs> it's the reality, you know. It is. Like people don't realize that all the controversy that came with The Last of Us Two probably bought more people into gaming because they're like, what is, this, what is this weird thing these people are bitching about? And then the last of a show having lovers and haters probably got brought people like, well, I want to play the game and see what's going on. Where do I play this? How do I play this? And you either bring casual gamers to become more core gamers or you bring them into games that are less casually driven uh, or you bring people completely newly into gaming that have never really done it before. Yeah, it's good entry points. Well, Chris, here we are at the point of the show where we're two and a half hours in and uh, we haven't even touched the news. Had a feeling this was going to happen with this type of episode. Rapid uh, fire being, news, baby. 
You ready? Let's go. April's PlayStation Plus Essential Games have been revealed and are as follows. Meet your maker. Trails. It's Tales of Iron, rather. Uh, Sackboy, a big adventure. Chris, you typoed, man. I'm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> it's so hard doing these things from memory. I know it. Uh, the titles will be available to claim with your subscription from April 4th to May 1st. And that is where we are with those. Meet Your Maker is another day and date, like we talked about a little bit earlier. So that's yet another month, which is actually a big deal after Chia. Uh, seems like maybe these day and dates are getting a little more frequent than they were previously. Yeah. Uh, There's about so. 365 of them. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Tales of Iron looks awesome. Uh, I've been eyeing that game for a while, so this is a big addition. And Sackboy is a great game. So if you have any, honestly, even if you didn't like Little Big Planet, this is not a Little Big Planet style platformer. It's far more like a 3D driven platformer, whereas Little Big Planet's very side scroller based. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great game. You should definitely try it out if you have any interest in platforming games. Very fun family game. Co op, there's. Great soundtrack, a lot of cool music, which is true of all of the Big Planet titles uh, or anything relating to Sackboy. Uh, what are your thoughts here, man? Big PS Plus month, or at least a solid PS Plus month. Seems like they're I'm, following through. I'm interested to try Meet Your Maker. Um, I'm not going to play Sackboy. I'm not a, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. I don't like platformers. Sure. Um, so it's a cool month. Uh, Trails, Tales of Iron looked fine. Every time I've seen it, I'm probably not going to play it, but. I'm more interested in what the essential and premium offers are halfway through the month personally this month, but okay. Can't what do you think it's going to be? Do you think it'll be big like it was last month with a bunch of games? Or do you think that was more of a, Hey, this is our anniversary. So we've kind of got to throw it up there. Um, I think they've got to start upping the ante anyway. My hope would be that even if the essential offerings are light, I, I would hope that they do like one month is big on both. One month essential is a little bit more of the priority. One month premium classics are the priority. I hope they start balancing it a little bit better. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Maybe between the three even, one big month for essentials, one big month for right. extra, and then one big month for uh, premium. Exactly. And I think it would allow room for people who are at each level to feel like they have time to go through the additions. Because <clears throat> one of the things about these types of services, right, is that like – there's so much that gets added at once that I can't reasonably go through all of them. And the downside of this type of subscription service is they eventually leave most of the time. Seldom do they stay in perpetuity. Uh, so you have to kind of think, well, damn, if I really want to try that game, I got to try and get to it before it goes away. And can I do that? Do I, am I even in the mood for that game right now? So it creates a system where I feel like not everything you want's there. But let's go back. To, you said you know you feel like it's got to start swinging bigger anyway. Well, what does swinging bigger look like? in your opinion for ps plus you know talking because we're right now we're looking at essentials but if we're looking at extra and premium what does swinging big look like for you as an individual what would be like yes this is what i wanted this is what i'm paying for i'm happy with my purchase that's a hard that's a hard question because it kind of requires me pulling something out of my ass like like Outriders was a big game to me, but to like the month I got most excited was, oh shit, Legends of Dragoon. You know, like that's it. It depends because this month could be swinging big for someone. It's not for me. Um, sure, you know, the siphon filter Dark Mirror doesn't move the needle for me. 
So that wasn't a big addition for me. So it's just, it, it's, it's hard to say, but it's kind of, um, it's kind of like what they say about porn, right? I don't know how to define porn, but I know it when I see it. It's the same with the essential <laughs> lineup. I don't know what a banger is, but I'll, when I know it, when I see it, I'll be able to tell. No, I get you. And I, I guess that's really what you mean is you want to be surprised. Yeah. You, you want to see something and be actively excited. I guess it, it's hard because you honestly, I'm not the person to answer this question because the reality is I own like 90% of the PlayStation store because I'm a fucking idiot. So it's true. Looking at these subscription services, <laughs> not, not the idiot part, but you own a lot of games. I do own a lot of games. So I, I look at the subscription part and I'm like, yeah, I have that. I have that. I have that. Oh, Kakarot. I've been waiting on that one. I have that. I have that. You know, so it's like, it's hard. That's a hard question for me to answer. That's why for me, my focus is on, okay, what are the old games I get to try for the first time? I think that's fair. I've really, I've, I've really realized that I do appreciate it for the value of what I pay a month is enough to cover the one game that may interest me a month. And like Chia has already interested me this month, and then Life is Strange is there. And either of those games would have been enough to cover the month, and I'm happy because like one is a brand new game that's interesting, and it brings it into more people's you know, eyes and there's some aspects about Tia that are a little self aggrandizing and get a little too caught up in my opinion on like, don't say (laughs) if I'm being like 100%, I think the game's fun and I enjoy it, but there's also times where I'm like, dude, if you're telling me that the point of the game is for me to go one place, sing a song, or play a song in this guitar thing where I have to look and make sure I'm hitting these notes. But, and then because the game's sung in a different language, I have to, either focus on the music or have to focus on the lyrics and maybe get some kind of cultural insight from these lyrics and these words and feel something there. Instead, it's like the game's asking me to do two things that don't really play well with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can go to autoplay, but then you're missing out on that, um, the musical aspect of it. So it's like, why would you put the game in there that way? Or why would you not put the words somewhere where they can be seen while you're trying to play the music? And then you go and go, okay, well, okay, I'm done with that. And now I'll cross the mountain and i Oh, I talked to somebody and we sing another song. God damn it. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. to some point I'm like, okay, if, if every place is just me sitting down somewhere and singing songs with people, I'm getting a little tired of that. Thankfully, it's often enough doing something interesting alongside it. But Life is Strange is good because of that fact that I've been interested in that game since they first showed it because I like the Life is Strange games and I just haven't gotten around to it. And the nature of me being a patient gamer means that I got that for free. You didn't have to buy it. I didn't benefit from you, which I do often benefit from you buying multitudes of things. (laughs) Uh, uh, But, you know, point being is it's nice to be able to be like, okay, cool, that's on there. Like Gardens Between. It's cool that I just have access to it. I don't have to worry about buying it now. Now, there's implications about what that means for the developers, and the fact that I could have bought that game and went towards that. But they've got money from PS Plus, and that's why they did that. Whether it was enough is not necessarily for me to say. They took that deal. and Hopefully it doesn't hurt them like it apparently did. Nacho the, problem. <laughs> well, like it apparently did the uh, Just Add Water or whatever the company is for um, you know, uh, Abe's what is it? Oh, uh, Soulstorm. Yeah. Yeah, Oddworld Soulstorm. So... Isn't it, isn't it the Odd World Collective or something? Whatever. I can't remember. I think it may be other. Uh, you're killing me. I got to find out. It's fine. It's inessential. What's next? <laughs> it matters to me. No, it only matters in so far as I hate Odd World's inhabitants. Yeah. Nailed it. 
Bam, look at you go. You're so good. Uh, next piece of news, the current CEO of Activision, Bobby Kotick, let everyone know that despite Sony's disappointing behavior regarding its merger with Microsoft, the company will not change its relationship with the first-party console maker. He goes on in the email to company he goes on to say in the email, rather, to company employees that he is comfortable knowing that the customer base will hold Microsoft to account. Uh, Chris, can you not click there? Because you're covering the words. You ass nugget. <laughs> <laughs> hold them to account if the games lack content or quality parity. So basically, he's saying that the customers, us, will make sure that some of the concerns about the acquisition will be done but you know that's an interesting thing because the reality of an acquisition is that microsoft uh, owns them and they can kind of do whatever they want <laughs> uh not to mention bobby codex probably out <laughs> the minute this goes through so who cares what bobby codex says yeah that yeah you're and if he's not i'm really curious if the people who got very heated about it and not saying that it's wrong that they did but the people who got up in arms over bobby if he stays on after the acquisition, was all that for nothing? There's no <laughs> way they would have the balls to do that. Though, for all the stuff they people say about him, he clearly knows how to do his job. Well, it's dragged he does on it for long good, enough. I almost wonder if they could just toxic way, but if it could just happen. But we'll Maybe. see. We'll yeah, see. we'll see. The reality is, is, if he's not the right fit for the people that work there to have a good place <clears> they enjoy working then he needs to go. But like you said, Activision's been making money hand over fist. So this is one of those things where uh, corporate interest and personal interest are just clashing. <laughs> Unfortunately, that sucks, but it's the reality of business. Exactly. Um, it happens. Yeah, I don't have too much to say on this other than it's interesting to finally hear him talk about it because a lot of people have wondered whether or not this was ever going to impact Microsoft and Sony, or uh, rather Sony and Activision. And I think it always seemed pretty obvious that Sony brings in a lot of money for Activision. So regardless of, Sony could probably act like as much of an ass as they wanted to. And so long as they are still throwing money and getting tons of money from the PlayStation user base, they're just going to let it happen. <laughs> because why wouldn't they? Financially, it makes the most sense to do so. I Just like agree. financially, it makes the most sense for them to sell to Microsoft for $69 billion, which is, if we're being honest. So, <clears throat> yeah, we'll see. Next piece of news, though, Warner Brothers and Player First Games have announced that Flash in the Pan Fighter Multiverses are leaving its open beta period and going offline for several months before returning with a 1.0 release sometime later next year thought it was early next year but we'll see uh the beta will shut down on june 25th players can continue to engage with the game in offline modes this will allow access to exclusive paid content and <clears> will <throat> thankfully carry over to the full release um this one's weird because i do not remember this game being re released in beta <laughs> i don't remember that either i'm not saying it's not true i didn't really play the game or care about it or let it come to my radar in a huge a way game. so it's fine, but I'm curious to get your read on this because you spend money on things like Apex, and I don't know if Apex was considered to be the same thing. I don't think it was because since the day that Apex Shadow dropped, it's never gone offline for months <laughs> in order to fully release. They've just continued to work on it and release and patch. 
But what are your thoughts on the ethics of allowing people to buy microtransactions in a beta? I don't have a problem with the ethics. I think I think I would there would be a bigger problem if they were like, Oh yeah, by the way, all your purchases are gone. Like that would be fucked. Sure. I think sure. I guess the question is, is it ethical to make a decision that I think anyone could tell you is gonna kill your game? when you let people buy stuff, you know? Yeah, I think it's fair. I think part of the reason the question arose in my mind, the more I'm thinking about it right now is because of the fact that it was so unclear to seemingly so many people that it was a beta that people who did not have that communicated well enough to them and then got on there and spent money may feel like, well, I wouldn't have spent that money if I knew that that was going to be ripped away from me in the capacity in which I bought it. Because the reality, in my opinion of this, is you buy these things and these skins and these characters and whatnot normally to play and interact with other players. So why would you have spent that money on something that you can only currently use in offline modes? It's like you could have just waited. Yeah. But you I, know, it depends on if you made that decision informed or uninformed. In the end, like, I don't have a ton of stuff to say. Multiverses was really fun. This is an absolutely insane decision, and it's going to backfire so fucking hard. And that's all I can So your say. solution is that they should have just kept the game running in this beta form until the day and date release and said, yeah. here we are with the 1.0 release, and this is right. full release. Why would you... I mean, Ground Zeroes, is, or I'm sorry, Multiverses has fallen off a cliff. But why would you take the 15 people still hanging on the cliff and then shake shake the carpet and knock them off the cliff? Like, why would you do that? Would you be like, oh, by the way, the game you really like is going offline for like six months? That's that's insane. Not to mention I've been that trying gives, to figure out that gives Nickelodeon All Star Brawl the opportunity to be like, yeah, we'll fix our game in six months and then take over. Not that they would, but why would you open that? Why would you open the field for someone else? That's insanity. I don't understand the logic. It's really stupid. See, I was trying to figure out the motivation myself because I thought the game had kind of waned in popularity myself. And so is the hope that by relaunching it down the line, you get another blast of people who are coming in day one because now it's a full release and things may have changed and you may get that and then have another flash of that or what? Because it seems the same to me that... I don't know. It depends on how you treat these things, right? Because me and Saul were talking the other day about the forest and we came in so late that we didn't realize some of the things. So we started looking because as we talked about prior to recording the, uh, the forest two or sons of the forest, as you want to call it, um, chose to release an early access so that they could just go ahead and get the game out and people wouldn't have to wait. Um, and then of course the benefits of when you do early access, you get way more data towards what people like, what people don't like, what needs to be fixed, what's not working well that you can't necessarily get from playtest. So with that in mind, we didn't realize that some of our favorite aspects of the forest were added later randomly as part of early access going on. So, uh, Chris, I think you played with us one day, right? Sounds, yeah, I did. Or the original forest. Did you ever? Did we take you to the big butthole in the center of the map? No, I don't think so. The pit, the butt. Yeah, it's like it's just a big, gigantic hole that goes down into this pit, and, and we call it the butthole. <laughs> but the point being is that that was after the game released in early access originally. That was an addition with no patch notes, 
<laughs> no nothing. They just added it into the game with a, with one of the patches that was for other stuff, and then people just suddenly found this thing where there used to be something different, and that's kind of interesting. And I find that to be more interesting to be like, we're going to shake our game up with big patches as we go through, and then they added the story. When that game first came out, there was no story. You didn't you didn't wreck on the plane with your kid. You didn't have a cutscene. You just woke up from a plane crash, and that was all. You didn't see anything else. The villain of the series wasn't there. There was just monsters without any in-game, in-world motivation for why they were there or what they were there for. So that seems like a very different way of approaching releasing a game in comparison to Warner Brothers being like, yeah, here's our game, and we're just going to pull it and relaunch it. I don't know. It's very weird. You played it. Can you imagine anything that can change in the six-month period that you'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes this all worth it? No, the game's pretty good. <laughs> like, Unless they're going to come out and be like, we've added 20 new characters. But the reality is it's going to come out with th- two new characters, five new maps, and a really good store. Like That's all it's going to be. Like I don't understand the logic here. So... Do you think the game waned in popularity because it ran its course and all they're trying to do is just hopefully release and allow it to have one more run of running its course? Yeah, most Or do likely. you think that it can actually succeed as a long-term game as a service? Smash Brothers exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You can't... Even well, if Multiverses you make a, is free to play, right? Yeah. But even if you make a game that's slightly better than Smash Brothers, it's still never going to be Smash Brothers. And Multiverses was not slightly better than Smash Brothers. I liked Multiverses, but it's still not the cream of the crop like Smash is. And Smash is just a phenomenon. So I think at a certain point, it's a game that's going to be like, people are going to play. Be like, yeah, this is fun. This reminds me of why I like Smash Brothers. Let's go play Smash Brothers. You know, like that's that's. The I get thing. you, but you know the thing is that to that size, you think well, it probably has to work this way. But I think of another game that is exists in that kind of arena, you know, battle arena type game, um, Brawlhalla. Mm-hmm. Came out in 2014, still going today. And it was bought out by Ubisoft. And I'm not saying it's a massive, massive game, but clearly it exists in such a way where it's able to continue because of a core group of people who've continued to play it after it kind of had its little time in the limelight. And I guess what I'm saying is there's a way where I can imagine multiverse is continuing and surviving and being successful enough. But it's not like I've seen some people say that the smash like thing there it's it'll it'll be running unopposed but that's not really the case there are other games that are actively going like brawlhalla there are games that have recently come and gone like that nicktoons battle game so is it really unopposed and is it only unopposed in the fact that brawlhalla is not like well we're taking daffy duck and lebron james and fucking the main character from fear since that was a wb game <laughs> <laughs> It's like we've got Batman and yeah, it's like, you know, Velma and Scooby and Shaggy and whatever it be, you know, it's like like if that mattered mattered in the way you're talking about, like it wouldn't, it would have, wouldn't have dropped off as hard. That clearly wasn't a selling point. Yeah. Like, well, it's a novelty. It can can bring people in. It's like, but that's it. But that's the thing. Like even still, it's 
interesting because like you play Batman and Batman doesn't play like you'd want him to. So even if you're like, oh, I'm going to play this fighter because of Batman and you go in there and you're like, yeah, this is a very hard character to learn. I'm good. You know, like that's the thing. Sure. Well, not even saying now this is just me, right? But like the value in Smash for me is not playing with different characters necessarily. Like it's exciting to see characters that you've known in, but actually most of my favorite characters that I play with uh, in terms of actually fighting with in Smash <clears throat> are not my favorite gaming characters. Like I really enjoy playing as Pac-Man. Um, I really enjoy playing as Meta Knight. I'm not a huge Kirby fan. I, I mean, Pac-Man's clearly a great game, but it's not like I'm excited about having Pac-Man fight L- Lucina. I don't care. <laughs> I just want the character to be fun to play as. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely understand. So I think you're right. I, I, don't, I think that the initial allure of having different people fight is fun, and clearly that works for PlayStation All-Stars. I will not sit here and act like PlayStation All-Stars was not cool to be like, Colonel Raddick fighting fucking evil Cole from Infamous 2. Like, yeah, that's, let's see what the fuck that looks like. But that novelty eventually wears off, and the game still has to be good enough outside of that to last. Exactly. So we'll see. All right, well, moving on. While speaking with Polygon's Paramount, or Polygon Paramount's VP for games, announced that a game based on the TMNT graphic novel, The Last Ronin, was in development. He mentions that it is a big-budget AAA release inspired by God of War. The developer behind the title is supposed to be a bigger-name studio, but the identity is being kept under wraps for now. I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I'm not like a mega fan, so this is cool. I know because of friends what the last Ronin is and what the story is. It's we're down to a single turtle surviving and he has all their weapons. Uh, I think this is interesting and I like the idea. Uh, you have any wants or wishes out of this or what's your, what's your feel here? You, you hoping for Arkham Asylum 2.0 in terms of quality of <laughs> adapted game or what? Yeah. I just hope it's M rated. Like that's a hardcore story. So make it hardcore. Well, it seems like it kind of has to be right. Yeah. But then again, are the Arkham games M-rated? No. I don't think so. I don't want to spoil the graphic novel, but it should be M-rated. Yeah. I feel like (laughs) where you're coming from. I just think it's interesting because, I mean, honestly, even though Batman's not an M-rated game, it feels right. Like, it feels like it's just as dark as it needs to be, and it shows just... It never feels like it's pulling a punch to me, even despite the fact that it's teen. But I guess that's just because of Batman as a character. Hmm. Interesting, nonetheless. It is. I mean, I'm certainly excited for the concept. It's inspired by God of War. That's hype. So... The question is, what... You, you have to assume this is God of War like 2018 and Ragnarok because it's a massive, massive success that's that's modern and people can point to. And I think it seems if it's easy to be that. I think if it's not like that game, if it was like the old God of Wars could be fun, people would be disappointed. So I think I agree. My I view for this is kind of an Arkham slash Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor style gameplay, where I can still see that it's similar to that, but it allows a little bit more combo. Ah, that's acting like God of War is not combo driven. It is. I just think it's combo driven in a different way. I think with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles style, you could definitely pull off a combat system that's a little more crowd focused um, when you think about stuff going on. 
And I think it'd be really fun to have, you know, different setups to where you're using the every weapon in a very different way. So that's that's kind of my idea. I like that idea of being able to have hell, even the idea of the uh, the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor would be cool. I would take that too. I'm always surprised that that's not in more games. Like I remember when they first announced it, I was like, "This is going to be in all sorts of games." <laughs> and nobody has done it. And I is it because it's too complicated, or is it? I know that they uh, patented it, if I remember, but I think that they patented it in a way where people can still use it. Yeah, hmm. I thought so too. Shadow of War, or Shadow of War publisher Warner Bros. has patented the series Nemesis system. Let's find out what that means. Will take effect on February 23rd, 2021. So it's already in place. And the patent will hold until 2035. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't look like it. I don't know. We'll see. I see people say that similar systems have been added to major franchises like Assassin's Creed. Are they talking about like the weird system where as you gain certain levels of notoriety, they would send out like those people in Assassin's Creed Origins? And I'm assuming Assassin's Creed um, um, Valhalla and whatnot has it. I don't really consider that nemesis like you're not doing something to these people and they're coming back to you and talking about something you've done in the past. It's just the game saying like, hey, you've gone long enough without dying or getting caught or doing something. So we're sending a big bad guy after you. That's not the same. No, it's not even close. Mm. I think uh, the nemesis system kind of touches on what I was hoping games would do. And like that, <laughs> it's like a weird version of that. Uh, and it's a weird part where I could actually see AI driven stuff pulling into games in a good way. And you could even argue the nemesis system in some ways is AI driven um, or at least randomization driven. Cause it's like that idea of having something where I can have an interaction that you couldn't have had just because the game was able to be like, well, you killed him this way. And so we're going to have this be his new thing. And you're going to have an, an enemy that no one else has. I don't know. It's an yeah, interesting it's- idea. I hope they it comes back more. We'll see. We'll just have to. It's going to be in uh, Mass Effect Four, <laughs> most likely, <laughs> and it might work there. Maybe. Can you imagine if all it was was Andromeda, but with the same game Nemesis system? <laughs> would it have helped or hurt? I don't know. <laughs> it would probably help. Would have just bit. been neutral. You know, who knows. All right, we're to the last piece of news here, and then we're going to wrap up with a few questions at the end of this episode. In a bit of news that is probably unsurprising, Microsoft, or Arcane rather, has confirmed that the PS5 version of Redfall was in development. Studio director Harvey Smith confirmed the news with IGN France, saying, quote, we were acquired by Microsoft, and it was a change with capital C. They came in and they said, no PlayStation 5 are focusing on Xbox, PC, and Game Pass, end quote. And now this comes into something, this is a conversation that we had in the, in the Discord that I do think has merit. And I think people maybe have been misrepresenting what the argument is here. I don't, Chris, I, I, I kind of want to let you speak on it because I think we were seeing an action where you and I, and I could see where you were coming from, we were really saying one thing, 
but it's very quick for people to take this and say, well, they should be able to, and that's not what we're saying. So what's on all of this, what is your feel for what this means <clears throat> and then how this interacts with what Xbox has been saying, even in the midst of this Microsoft uh, Activision merger? Um, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's an argument that we've talked about a ton, but I just think Xbox has every right to do this and Agreed. every right to make, they could take every single Bethesda game, every single Activision game, including Call of Duty, and make them exclusive. Totally fine. That's well within their purview. And what, if it was me, I would do. Sure. But my biggest issue with Xbox and Phil Spencer is Phil Spencer goes out there, talks about unity, talks about exclusives on a case-by-case basis, talks about exclusives are bad for the industry, talks about when everyone plays, we win. When he's all of the stuff that he has said that this goes counter to, right? And then, especially with Elder Scrolls Six, like I'm sorry, Elder Scrolls has a legacy on PlayStation. It was announced before the merger. Whether you want to tell me that means that there wasn't a PS5, you're being you're playing semantics to make your argument. That's fine. But but when Bethesda was a third party publisher and they announced Starfield, yes, they didn't put any systems on it, but they weren't a first party. So the implication of announcing it is that it's coming to everything. Yeah. That's like that's a very clear. So yeah, you can come at me with, well, there was never a splash screen that said PlayStation. And sure, you're right, but that's not the case that that's not what that's not the implication put out before they're bought by a third party publisher i'd be i don't know this for sure but i'd be willing to bet there's no consoles listed on the first trailer for gta 5 right like it does it's it's a it's showing what the game is and, and telling you it's coming and then when it comes from a third party publisher you would make the assumption that it's coming to everything and I'm not sitting here saying, like, if Sony had bought exclusivity like they were apparently trying to, okay, fine. Then Xbox people can complain about that in the same way that PlayStation is people are complaining. I think if Phil from the beginning had been like, all the games are exclusive, like, obviously, then there would be, there would be no conversation. But with, Microsoft, with Minecraft being not being taken off PlayStation and them continuing to put out new Minecraft games on PlayStation with them saying all the stuff that they're saying and making all the, the cases of why this is good and why it'll benefit everyone. This is all fine. Like this is why people get like up in arms and they're like, well, Oh look, it is an example of them taking a game from PlayStation. I do not care that, that that Redfall was announced after the deal. I do not care. You cannot tell me that they didn't take a game from PlayStation when the studio head says they took a game off PlayStation. You can't you can't make the argument that well it was never announced so they didn't take it away when Harvey Smith is telling you, yeah, we stopped making the PlayStation version. Yeah, and I think just to kind of really hone this in uh, again. I agree with you. I don't think it matters. 
I agree with you in the sense that so uh, Xbox should have every right to say, hey, we bought you, no PlayStation 5, make your game for us. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing is that this is a, a matter of the left hand doing one thing and the right hand saying another. And what's really going on is I have a respect, and these are businesses, right? They don't care about us. They exist in a way to make money and to go on about doing their things, which I think is what makes this an even harder pill to swallow is that X that fills out there and he's acting like he wants exclusives gone and all these different things and about how walled gardens are not a good thing. And we want these games to be played by as many people as possible. And he talks about Activision and how it's going to be a way for them to guarantee that more people play more games regardless of the platform. And then you turn around and go, yeah, but Redfall is exclusive. And that's 100% fine that Redfall is exclusive. What is not fine is that you are saying you want no exclusives and you're saying all these things to get the good feelings that come with them and the good PR that comes with it. But then your actions are fighting that 100%. In every way, shape, and form, every single one of these games, it should be expected, first of all, to be uh, Xbox exclusive. And it'd be a pleasant surprise if it turns out they're not. And that's how this should focus. But that would be a lot easier to do for everyone, even consumers who don't necessarily have any interest in the console war, to be like... All I want to know is where I can expect these things to come. And when you have somebody who's the head of your company saying that we want more games in more places regardless of the platform and then actively working against that, that is something we should call out as hypocrisy. And it is hypocrisy. And Sony is also clearly guilty of their own hypocrisy often. But one thing I can say in this particular thing is that as, as shitty as a thing as it may have been to say, I can 100% respect and even understand when Jim Ryan goes, I don't want Call of Duty. I want to block your merger because at least he's being honest to what's going on. Clearly, the reason Sony's going after that is they want to stop that. And clearly, the reason Microsoft's going after Bethesda is because they want to take, they want to take the games that they can and make them exclusive. So just... Don't talk. I don't want to, I don't really know how to say it, but people talk, it's like talking like a politician. It's saying one thing and doing something different. That's basically what it is. And I hope that this is not something that we continue to see. Come out and be honest. Even if he just says right now, he came out and 100% said, listen, we've done a bad job of being clear. Expect all Xbox or expect all Microsoft Game Studios published games to be exclusive and if there won't, we'll let you know if they're going to be elsewhere, just like they've done with Microsoft or with uh, Minecraft, rather. And I think Minecraft was a great example of being able to say, like, hey, we bought, we buy things to make money and to make exclusives, which is also in the veins of making money. But sometimes when it makes sense, we're going to release things on more than one platform, Minecraft being an obvious example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Sony, Destiny being an obvious example of why you would want to continue letting Destiny 2 stay on Xbox. Why would you cut off any any bit of the uh, the money coming in from that right. when it stands to benefit from having as big of a thing as possible? A game like Redfall and a game like Elder Scrolls 6, yeah, they can be exclusive. They're not online, multiplayer-driven. They're not as community-driven in that particular way, in that particular sense. So, yeah, you can do it. You can go. Yeah, uh, but I think that's the real thing. People are 
people are arguing two things. People are thinking that we're saying that it can't happen or that we're mad that a game got taken away. I'm not mad that a game got taken away. I'm mad that a game got taken away. I'm not even mad. It's, I think it's dumb that a game got taken away while you're telling me that you're not trying to take games away. That's it. Right. You know, it's just the conversation is dishonest on both ends. Um, I I just, I think denying that Phil Spencer is misleading people is just as dishonest as any other fanboy saying, well, Microsoft is ripping games away and Sony is not like Sony. Sony doesn't do it to the degree Microsoft does. I don't think at least not anymore. And they certainly don't do it with they've, they've never you. I haven't seen an example of like a Tomb Raider situation where they're taking exclusivity on the middle game in a trilogy. Like I don't, I don't see the two lining up and there's been no purchase that Sony has done. That's been in the same vein as Bethesda or Activision. And they probably never will. Even if, even if Square Enix goes exclusive, they basically are now anyway. <laughs> like, yeah, what does it change? What do you so change? It's a good point. Yeah, Bethesda being on everything and then suddenly no longer being there. Every that's the thing is like, just because the games weren't announced before or whatever, that doesn't mean you're not taking something away. Every game that would have come out of Bethesda is being taken away from PlayStation players while Xbox owns them. That doesn't mean Xbox is doing something wrong. That does mean that every Bethesda exclusive and every Activision exclusive is something they took from PlayStation. Whether you want to look at it that way or not, that is objectively true. I got you. I mean, I agree. Cool. It's just a matter of what it is. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just been interesting hearing this argued so many different ways. That's really the end of it. And I think as long as everyone can actually realize and start from the same start, the same starting point of what we're talking about, then this can easily be squashed. There's no problem with exclusivity. I am clearly for exclusivity as someone who enjoys PlayStation. Yeah. Just, just be honest about your exclusivity. <laughs> That's right. it. And on that note... PlayStation, be as honest as you can as often as you can. Ideally, I would love customer companies to be as transparent as they can. But we talked about the other day. These are companies. They don't really care about us. Yeah. Just because it's what I would prefer doesn't mean it's what they're going to do or what even makes the most sense for their dollar. You know, there. So uh, it's nice when you get to feel like a company has something like that. But in reality, it's seldom the case. That's Once companies start to get too big, that personal aspect gets pulled away from them. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know? All right, Brett, where are we going next? We can wrap this long ass 300 up. Yes. <laughs> we have now gone past 300 hours. <laughs> um, we have a few questions, and apparently I was uh, too dumb to put them into the <laughs> document, but that's fine. I have them in another document. So, with that in mind, let's go for them. Here we have. Velvet's Corner to be last, as it will be. So the first question comes from Jehudi MD. Uh, and he says, have you ever thought about how a particular aesthetic draws you closer to a certain console or game? I have this with Square Enix games with how they lay their menus out, the sound of selecting commands, the way that the cursor moves and how it's shaped connects me more to their games. The same applies to PlayStation products and its software. I guess the PlayStation in the PlayStation ness and Square Enix ness. 
<laughs> weird ways, weird words to say is what draws me to them. So thoughts, Chris. I don't know. For me, it's not as much aesthetics and it's just as basic as I play most of my games on PlayStations because I like trophies. That's it. I feel. I mean, is there a game series that you feel like whenever or a game developer that you feel like when you see their games, you play and you're like, yeah, this is what I expected from this developer. This feels good. This feels like, you know, something I'm used to. Like I used to, I would say originally, like you love Respawn, but honestly, Respawn's been shaking things up. <laughs> I mean, my honest answer to that question is Sony San Diego. So, so every time you play MLB, you're like, this feels right. Yeah. Exactly. I know that's I know that spring is coming because uh MLB is coming out. Okay. I get where he's coming from cuz there is like this weird charm that that <laughs> you can say JRPGs across the board but Square Enix very particularly have brought and I do love that. Their menu music is always so beautiful and compelling and then you go into your menus and this is true of Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy and Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger and all these different games. Um I do like that as well. I like the way that they drive their people to have a consistent feeling where you play it and you're like, I know it's square. And there's a comfort in knowing it's square. It doesn't mean every game is good, but it does draw me to it. And I agree with you on PlayStation. There's something about the XMB that is welcoming and warming. And I love the, I, I love the familiarity with it. I love the usefulness of it. I love the way it looks. Um, and it continues to be something that I enjoy and i'm glad they iterate on it and i'm glad they've continued to iterate on it but even before the xmb i just think that there's something about the thought process behind designing for a playstation both the system itself and the software that i can appreciate and i really enjoy so i hope that answers your question uh, and i definitely yeah square enix and playstation two great answers if i were to try and come up with something that is different um let me think I get, this is going to sound weird, but RuneScape has that for me. It's that feeling of, I don't know anything else that structures its game or menus or world or combat or anything like RuneScape does. And because of that, there's something that draws me back to old school RuneScape, and that was completely missing from RuneScape 3. Um, So that would be my answer that's not your two already fantastic answers. Um, I feel like I want to throw it out there because I feel like I saw it. And for some reason I can't find it again. Uh If I'm remembering correctly and please correct me if I'm wrong. uh, Matt green asked if we ever had self-imposed challenges that we've made in games. And I'm hoping to see if I can. Oh yeah. Here here it is. Finally, I found it. Um, What self-imposed challenge, if any, have you done on games, i.e. Final Fantasy X, No Sphere Grid Run? So do you have any any games that you've played where you purposely try to create your own challenge to get through? Um, Not really. I guess we're going back to it a lot, but the biggest thing would be like, I'm going to play this all Red Sox team that is objectively worse than my best possible team. Like that's really the extent of what I can think about, think of really. 
I get what you mean because it's like uh, me and my friend will do this thing where it's easy to hop in and play a quick match of FIFA where it's like one of you is Manchester United, one of you is you know, FPC Barcelona because they're two top-tier teams that you can throw against each other. What's far more interesting to be is being like, I'm going to be Zenit and I'm going to be – I can't think of another team right now. Point being is I'm going to be mid-range teams and I'm going to see what I can do with a mid-range team that's not full of strikers that are at like a 93 or 88, 89, you know? Yeah. So I can I can feel where you're coming from there. Um I think you probably would agree with this and you seem to have come mostly into a big chunk of your gaming uh, with Xbox 360 and PS3. So with that in mind, I think trophies have for all their good and all their bad mostly done away with that in console gaming. And even to a degree in computer gaming with things like Steam achievements. And the reason I say that is because used to you may come up with that, but now you just look through trophies and the trophies tell you a weird way to try something. And there's normally something made toward that. Because I can't honestly tell you whether or not I would have thought to do a no-shell run in Mortal Shell had it not been for the trophies. Mm -hmm. But the trophies are made to give you weird challenges that you can do. Can you think of an example of something like that? Where something that you did do because it's an odd challenge, like Dead Space, there's no way I would have tried playing Dead Space without dying the whole way through. I wouldn't, it would have crossed my mind realistically, but it was fun to do for a trophy. Like, well, I can't die, it's permadeath. Honestly, the biggest stuff I've done is doing stuff I would, I, going out of my way for things. But I don't feel like it's challenging. I guess, you know, I did res- like like platinuming Resident Evil 2 and going for specific things to get specific guns to make those runs easier is, I guess, the closest I've ever been. The first thing that popped in my head was grinding that one enemy in Sekiro over and 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 over again. And then... Still not having enough XP points, so I beat the game five more times. Was probably the closest I've ever come to that, I think. You know, I just I think trophies have really taken that out of me. If I go back, um, I think the last time I can truly think of one is that I tried to do a run of Kingdom Hearts 1 when I was like 11, maybe 12, to where I did not use Cure myself. I only had Donald heal me. And this was because at that time, even with friends, it was like Donald never heals you. It's like It was a joke <laughs> long before the internet picks up on it, really. Um, and so the, the, my thing was I could only heal with potions, like items that were in my quick slots that I could put in, or Donald had to heal me. And that's been so long ago. It's like I can't, I mean, I did a run of Kingdom Hearts 2 where I didn't use reaction commands except for when they were absolutely necessary because um, there are enemies you genuinely can't beat without doing so uh, or there's interactions you can't beat without doing so. Uh, speaking of which, one of them is the the first boss of Kingdom Hearts 2 where you're Roxas and you're fighting the big nobody. Um, you have to... or It's not the big nobody. But regardless, you have to swoop up and use the reaction command to get up to his face to hit him. Um, and that's to teach you to use the reaction command, but it's not something I really drive to do much anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just getting the trophies is the biggest self-imposed challenge. 
That's all about the, the self-imposed challenge has become I'm going to platinum the game. Right. Exactly. I think the downside is is that it's not really self-imposed because self-imposed means that there is no, or at least the way I'm viewing the the, the question is that you're just doing it with the only reward being that you've done it. Yeah. And the thing about a trophy is that there's a carrot on the stick. I mean, I guess like it's weird because I don't know if self-imposed challenge is the way I would describe it, but I used to do shit in Pokemon where I'm like, I'm just going to, I think once I completed the Pokedex with every Pokemon at level 100, every evolution level 100, like that was stupid, but I've done it. Like, yeah, but that's pretty bad. I don't know if that was a self-imposed challenge or if it was like, well, this is the one video game my parents bought me for the last four years, so I've been playing it this long. <sighs> See, so that's I'm just running the point. Elite Four hundreds and thousands of times. Like, yeah. Speaking of Pokemon, I mean, like, I guess I would call this. I wanted my self-imposed challenge was to see if I could hatch my own Tyrant, the the little dinosaur uh, fossil Pokemon from X and yeah. Y. I wanted to see if I could hatch my own shiny with perfect IVs, and I did it. Yeah. I had five IV, and the one I didn't need was in the uh, the thing that it didn't use anyway. I think it was a special. I think a special attack was what I didn't need. Um, so point being, I did that, and it took a long time to the point where at work. I would sit there because, you know, you hatch eggs by walking in the game. So I would just, at work, I'd go get a bunch of eggs out, fill my inventory full of eggs, and then just walk around in uh, the circle of the city. Yeah. And what I would do is, uh, while I was at work, I would just leave my 3DS propped open on my leg, and I would shove a dime or a penny or some kind of coin into the slider stick so that it would just keep me moving in that same circle. <laughs> yep. So I, exactly. I, mean, I guess that is a self-imposed challenge. It just... You know, but it's also one of those things. If you want to be competitive, like let's say I don't, I don't know if you ever did, but if you wanted to play competitive Pokemon, you needed to do that. So it's not really a self-imposed challenge, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because there's always a yeah, and it's because of the multiplayer aspect. I think the true form of that is people who do it with games that don't have it. So the first person that was like, "I'm going to play Resident Evil Four with only a knife." before trophies existed like that is the true feeling of like what do you get for that you can't play online with other people it's not for competitive play it's purely for the right to say oh you beat resident evil 4 well i beat it with just a fucking knife yeah i've just never been one to do that i play too many games i guess realistically maybe when i was a kid i'd be more likely but not now. I think it's hard to do now because of time constraints. It's like I want to play other things, so I just go about my business. You know what? I figured it out. I, I got a perfect answer for this. Conan, Exiles. I got the Platinum without <laughs> without just doing it in an hour by using all the cheats. Yeah. Definitely a self-imposed. <laughs> that was my self-imposed challenge. Man, crazy. Uh, Matthew Green also asked us one other question. If Robin's beaver devours six inches of wood every half hour and Jessica's beaver devours eight inches of wood every 45 minutes, how much wood will I need to keep both of these beavers well-fed all weekend long? Can you repeat the question? (laughs) It's a How I Met Your Mother joke. Yeah, but I want to give the answer. What's the question? Okay, let's go. You ready? Mm-hmm. If Robin's beaver yeah. devours six inches of wood every half hour, yeah. 
and Jessica's beaver devours eight inches of wood every 45 minutes. How much will I need to keep both of these beavers well-fed all weekend long? Weekend being Friday and Sunday included? Let's call it Saturday, Sunday, 48 hours. 45 minutes. So there would be 48, 48 times 6. 8, 16, 6, 12, 18, 24, 30, 36, 6, 3, 42, 400. So Robin would require 456 inches of wood per day. Multiply that by three, you get a big number that I can't do in my head. Um, so Robin requires 456 times three. Robin requires 1,300, 1,368 inches of wood. Uh, 24 divided by... Yep, so you can do the math for the other one on your own time, but... 1,368 for Robin. Nice. Yeah. You are now an official space team. Yeah. All right. And cool. uh, Alan Thick congratulates you. Nice. Let's go to the mall. <laughs> Let's go to the mall today. Everybody. <laughs> okay. That brings us to the one, the only, the final. Well, it didn't work. Corner. Ka-chow. <laughs> With that out of the way, we are now officially in Velvet's Corner, the VIP section of this strip club called Triangle Squared, where you get asked the weird questions while Velvet metaphorically grinds all over you. Oh, my. <laughs> and... While he's grinding, metaphorically, he asks, in honor of episode 300, I've got personalized questions for each of you, but feel free to answer each of his questions if you want. So, first, for Chris, you've been invited to Sony HQ and asked to cook for Shuhei. They ask for a three-course meal, starter, mains, dessert, with each course based on a Sony first-party game. You can choose a different game for each course or make the entire meal about different facets of the same game. So what game or games is it and what will the food be? Hmm. Let's get that quick chefing out. So okay. far you said he's not been able to get you. So you got we got to find so out. I'm, I'm taking a first party game mm-hmm. and I'm making a course for each game. That's correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or you can use the same game and have each course be themed about different aspects of the game. If so what if I'm going to do first, is this just me and Shuhei? Or just is this you like, and Shuhei. Okay. So this is going to be a little bit overkill. But I think my first one is I'm going to do a mag-inspired dish. This is going to be a very easy one for me. Okay? So all I'm going to serve him... Is 256 mozzarella sticks. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Please continue. I'm sorry. That was way more fucking stupid than I anticipated. 
way more stupid. Um, but fucking then, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> it only would have been better if you were like from Sonic. <laughs> and I have to cook them, so I just reheated them in grease. Yeah, easy. Um, but I think what I'm going to do with that is kind of chef up the plate. So instead of like a ramekin of marinara, like you get at a restaurant, although I guess for 256, it would be like a bucket of marinara. Uh, I'm just going to dump that shit on the plate like blood. Mm. See, this is where you got to go more in depth here. I don't know if you remember, but mag, mm-hmm. even though it was 256 players was squads of eight or 16. I can't remember. So you had, you'd have to squat up. You'd have to have eight and you'd have to have a gigantic. Well, plate. that's the, that's you just the thing. Eight, yeah. Eight, and you'd have to slowly come into a bigger area. No, exactly. But here's the thing: I'm going to make it. It's going to. They're all going to be in the squads of eight, right? With the mm-hmm. blood in the middle, and maybe like broken mod sticks around, like as dead bodies. Mm-hmm. But as an ode to how the leveling works, all of the mod sticks are going to go from like Sonic quality all the way up to like gourmet quality, right? <laughs> Yeah. So he has to progress from level one being like not enough cheese nor bread to like, holy shit, this is the best thing I've ever had. Mm. So that's that's the appetizer is a mozzarella stick flight. Um, all right, all right. I think for who. The Sony first party does make this a little bit more difficult, but this is actually going to be easy now that I've thought about it. So we're going to go with a Ghost of Tsushima inspired ramen. Okay. Okay. So we're going to do... We're gonna we're gonna have a plate that's like a replica of like one of those hot wells that he sits in, and we'll have like a little naked gin doll in the thing, and it'll be filled with ramen. We'll do, we'll do like we'll put some egg in there. Obviously, that's just ramen. Um, then I think we'll do. We're not gonna serve him like random bird. Actually, you know what? We'll we'll go with quail over chicken to kind of give it a little bit more exotic feel. Okay. Um, so we'll put some quail ramen in there. Give it to him. Crack a nice little egg. Maybe have some sauces that kind of represent him. But then the coup de gras is literally just sriracha on the top to look like Mongol blood. Hmm. You know, I think that's pretty easy. So it would be, so we're going mozzix for the first course, uh, ramen for the main course. So, so I want to tell you right now, dessert. I want to, I, I want to quickly just so I think it's, I, I'm, I'm every time that you're saying something, I'm coming up with my own little switches on it. Right, go for it. So my switch for what I would do for yours in particular, ramen, yes, and you can have it set up to where it looks like one of the relaxation, uh, you know, little, um, you know, Zen spa places or whatever it be. But hear me out. I'm hearing the meta to this is that. To pick up on the aspects of honorably fighting and dishonorably fighting, or you know, being honorable or being dishonorable in the game, when you give him this, you give him a fork and a pair of chopsticks. Ah. And if he chooses to live with honor, 
he, mm-hmm. he must use the chopsticks. But if he wants to throw honor to the wind, the fork is there. Right. And here's the thing. If he chooses the fork, I have a secret hose that I pull out and just spray him in the fucking face. Because if you're dishonorable in that game, it just starts raining the whole time. <laughs> Yes. So I think that's good. Uh, so I have one more course. Is that correct? You do. That would be dessert, right? That'd be dessert. Yep. <laughs> uh, this is a joke. Um, to make this clear before I start speaking. So I'm going to serve him just cream puffs to represent how much weight Aloy gained between... Zero Dot and Forbidden West. <laughs> okay. No, I'm joking. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go. Hmm. I'm going to go with an infamous, infamous inspired cake, right? <laughs> and what we're we're not going to do is, oh, it's got lightning bolts on it, and oh, blah 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 blah. blah. What we're doing is we're making a proprietary mix, right? Like we're breeding dogs, and instead we're going to do a cake that's half vanilla and half chocolate. Mm-hmm. You said that like that was going to be next fucking level. Like you can't go to Walmart and buy a half chocolate, <laughs> half vanilla cake for five fucking dollars. Yeah. You got to bring more to the table than this, Chris. Let's hear it. Come on. Well, here's what I'm bringing to the table. We're also going Hopefully to get not a five dollar Walmart cake. Come on, no, I'm bringing it up by about ten dollars because what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a really good like strawberry sauce for the center. Right, it's going to be layered, so mm-hmm. we'll have a strawberry sauce in the center. And see, while it's very basic, what we're doing is focusing on the games. So we're going light side, dark side, and in the center, vampire side. We're bringing Festival of Blood in. I'm including the DLC. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking but of blood. Then, here's the thing. Oh, ooh, okay. Yes. Let's continue. On the top, it's just going to be on fire to represent Delson and smoke. <laughs> With a neon sign that says Fortune. Yes, exactly. And two satellites. Yeah. Yep. And then just filled with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do an Oreo crumble on top. Exactly. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I, I think We've, I've sufficiently answered the question. Okay. So mine's mine's way simpler. Yeah. I would do uh, I would do a cherry or strawberry or something with a deep red. You know, something that you can do like pie filling and I would do like a pie or some kind of you know crusted item. And I would have it be inspired by Bloodborne and I would have purposely some of the blood coming out and I would have it to where there's a part of the crust missing all the way around kind of laying in to where you see a red, like the red glow. And hopefully it's a, use a see-through pie dish, like a glass one, and you set it on top of a, of a light right. that shines like that. that red through. And that represents the moon presence and the mm. filling represents the old blood and it's bloodborne inspired. So you could really elevate it if you made a moon pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then you, where, where does the blood come in? You know, is it a moon pie with like filling? I could, I could be down for that. A strawberry moon pie frosted with like, moon pie. 
Yeah, but I, I would want something a little more liquidy, you know, something that give you that deep blood red color that you can get. Mm. You know? Gotcha. I think I'm going to change my second, my entree answer, and I'm also going to mm. go. I'm also going to go bloodborne, and I'm just going to feed him an umbilical cord from a freshly born fetus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has to be a third. Three thirds. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be like tacos. I'll do like pickled onions, um, some house made pico, maybe some guac on like a soft shell taco, obviously. And then just mm-hmm. right slap in the middle is just a raw, uncooked umbilical cord. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, I was thinking maybe you just do like an octopus and you oh. have it to where the tentacles are like the amygdala from Bloodborne. Fuck that boss. <laughs> I've told you the story about amygdala. Have I ever you told have. that story on this podcast? Yeah. Yes, yes, you have. Awful. First time I fought that fucker was in the defiled chalice dungeon. That's rough. Yeah, it was I awful. I fought him in the game. And then, yes, the defiled version was awful. Yep. To the point where it was significantly harder than the actual final boss. Oh, yeah. The final boss is a joke in Bloodborne. The, the Queen of Yarnum is like a <laughs> Not absolute... Even a you just have yes, to step to the side and then smack her a bunch. Um, yeah, very easy. Very just easy. just to fully answer a question from before, Robin would require 1,368 inches of wood, and Jessica would require 1,116 inches of wood. I'm glad you've done that. The How Many yeah. Mother fan base thanks you for your diligent efforts. Yeah, I'm glad. And remember, it was, Chris. It was a lot of work. Two beavers are better than one. Yeah, especially when they're smacking each other around. They're twice Just, the fun. Yeah. Ask anyone. Oh, yeah. I do. I love yeah. watching them scissor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. What's, what's the next Velvet Corner question? <laughs> we can go to bed. For Brett. For Brett. You tag along to Sony HQ with Chris, but while he was cooking, you decided to sneak off to see what secrets you can discover. You stumble across a secret testing area for upcoming VR games. You try out two games, one of which is a very exciting game from a dormant PlayStation franchise that uses VR in an unexpected and unique way. The other is a game from a current successful PlayStation franchise that uses VR in a way that causes you to end up in the hospital. What are the games and what are the unique, dangerous ways they use VR? This is a hell of a question. I want to throw this out there. This is a hell of a question. The abstractness of food is a lot easier to get to. But I'm not saying I'm not prepared for the challenge, Velvet. Because after all, this is the Velvet Corner. Velvet Corner. That That fueled me. God, I got a boner. (laughs) My work here is done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, speaking of boners, (laughs) the long dormant PlayStation IP, I'm going to go a little off kilter here because technically it is a Sony game. It was published by Sony Computer Entertainment in Japan. Technically not developed by them. That's okay. There's a game for the PS2 called Mr. Mosquito. And there was a scene in which you fly around and there's a naked lady in the bathtub. Uh, 
if I'm being honest here, I've never played the game, but I have seen it. It's very weird looking. And so you're using VR to be a fly on the wall, quite literally, flying around, slooping around, having to be a little bug. I don't think I've seen a game do that quite yet. I've seen the one that's, uh, what's that Ubisoft uh, Eagles VR game or whatever it be where you fly around. This is going to be different because I imagine that this will be kind of like B-movie meets Mr. Mosquito where you're constantly trying to get swatted and killed. So, yeah, it's just going to be ducking, diving. And the VR use that's unique and weird is that to fly, you're going to actually have to lift the, the, the VR sense controllers out and flap your wings <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> and then the microphone on the headset, right, will have it to where you have it has to pick up you going. And then finally, anytime that you get hit or swatted or anything like that, it uses the built-in vibrations in the head to mimic that and wait for it. This is, this is really pushing it, right? When you do get swatted or hit the PlayStation VR screen with its very bright OLED shines a crazy (laughs) ass blinding white light to disorient you and fuck you up (laughs) until you can recover from the hit. All right. Yeah. Um, now, that's the old one. It's weird. It's okay. I feel like that's the way to go. Um, for the new one, the current, right? So we're talking about a current successful PlayStation franchise that uses VR in a way that causes you to end up in the hospital. Days Gone VR. Okay, I'm standing where up. You have a, <laughs> where you have a motorcycle. Okay. And the motorcycle is a peripheral. Oh, it's yeah? like those arcade machine motorcycles that you lean on to turn. Oh, and, tell me um, more. Yes. So as you go around, right? Uh huh. And you can take one hand off and cap some, you know, uh, I'm not zombies. I'm sorry, freakers. Freakers. Um, Good lord. You can, you can cap some freakers. Uh, the reason yeah. you end up in the hospital uh-huh. is because. Of course, you have a headset on riding this incredibly unstable and unsafe motorcycle attachment. There you have it. But what you didn't know is that it also comes with an attachment. Oh. Of two zombie-like things, freakers. And the moment you slide and fall off your motorcycle... They eat you. They're basically just demon children that they put in a box, and oh. the demon children wait until you fall off. And if you die in game, you, you die in, in real life. So basically, gotcha. anytime a freaker attacks you, you get attacked in real life. I like that. It's a peripheral. Um, it's a peripheral. <clears throat> Don't worry. It's a peripheral. Understood. I think for me, my first game would be a um, Parappa the Rapper game. Where you have to rap. Yeah, and the unique way you use it is that it translates your dance moves one-to-one into the game. Uh, I think that would be pretty fun. Um, So my second answer would be I would do a Spider-Man VR game. Um, Where you have to mount to the ceiling and swing. No, you have and to. The play reason it's out. dangerous is because your ceiling falls down and you hit the ground. No, 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 no. So you can swing around and you can do whatever. 
However, it's using technology developed by Palmer Lucky. And kill you. I if almost you, made this joke. If you do not land, you know, if you die in the game, it it just explodes and you die. So it's like, but it's a mode. So it's like, you know, it's like Dead Space's hardcore mode, except it's in Spider-Man. And if you lose, you die. That's it. Game's not hard, mm-hmm. but if you lose, you die. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where I'm going. I'm going with Palmo Lucky. That was where my, uh, that was where both of my death situations came from, except for the first one, I toned back to be a bright light that disoriented you as a mosquito. Cause I was thinking of the Palmer Lucky. <laughs> if you die in game, it kills you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if we're being honest, we're talking about, uh, Sword Art Online. So, yeah. Which is cool. Interesting to see. Fucking nerd. Well, all right. That was Velvet's Corner. And this <clears> is the end of episode. Well, actually, yeah, you're right. This is the end of. As long as I don't play it yeah. one more time, I'm good. I'll, I'll still have fulfilled my promise of playing it less than the previous episode. What I'm learning is I could have played it a shitload last episode and then always just play it one, <laughs> one less, less time. <laughs> one and keep that promise going. Game. But this has been a long day, a long night. This will probably take some time to get up. So... With that, I want to go to bed, go to work, and do all the things that I'm supposed to do. We will get this episode up. And once again, I want to thank each and every one of you for 300 episodes. If you stuck around this far, uh, we'd like to kind of announce that we're working on doing a run of shirts, which we've never done, uh, mainly because we have a lot of listeners who live overseas. So what we're trying to do is figure out where we can do the design that we're hoping for that we can trust to deliver things across the way while having some sense of quality control. So right now I'll tell you that we want to do this and I'm even debating to the point where it may be best for me to get the shirts made, come to me and then me ship them out. Uh, If we go that route, it would be a pre-order situation where we only order as many shirts as we go ahead and get paid for up front just to make sure that, you know, we can do something cool. We can do something nice, but we don't have to worry about uh, digging into our own pockets initially. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, holler at us. If you have had any experience with getting shirts made, I have for bands in the past, but they always came to me. Uh, I'm looking at some websites that can do print to deliver and then ship directly out. But I want to make sure that those A, support worldwide shipping the way that I'm hoping for and are at a good enough quality. So I was talking to Chris about ordering some shirts from those places so I can kind of have a feeling for what we're doing. Uh, but we will get more information on that when we have it. And until next week, remember... Like if and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Rate, review us on uh, podcast services. If you like what we're doing, you want to be part of our community, you can always head over to tri- uh, twitter.com and find us at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. You can find us in the Discord, always linked in the description below. And without further ado, Chris, thank you for joining me for yet another episode of Triangle Squared. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners. And we will be back next week 
Shout out to our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave us a little of a dollar per month to support this show. I'd like to shout out Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Send to Win, aka Sean, Aztec King, Legion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Santarude. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week.